is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Great moments are born from great opportunity. And that's what you have here. That's what you've earned here tonight. Forget about the crowds, the size of the school, their fancy uniforms, and remember what got you here. If you put your effort and concentration into playing to your potential to be the best that you can be, I don't care what the scoreboard says, at the end of the game, in my book, we're going to be winners. On this team, we tear ourselves and everyone else around us to pieces for that inch. We claw with our fingernails for that inch because we know when we add up all those inches, that, that, that's going to make the f***ing difference between winning and losing. It's down to the wire with, with, with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Oh, on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Down to the Wire. We are live every single Monday and Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Remember, you can call us at 631. What's the number, Speedy, over here? The number is 631-260-1601. As you guys know, you can follow us by going to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. And guys, if you haven't downloaded our, our wonderful app, all you have to do is go to the iOS, WWSRN, and on the Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Speedy, how was your weekend? It was good for the most part. My cousins came over yesterday. We had a little barbecue. Uh, made one of your favorite foods. Uh, my uncle made lamb, which I know is one of your favorite foods. I love lamb. Yes, it yes. was delicious. It was absolutely delicious. And then after they left, my aunt came over at, at night. So we've essentially had two little barbecues, and we celebrated her birthday. Her birthday was on Saturday. Well, I had a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Uh, I actually celebrated a friend's girlfriend's birthday. It was very, very interesting. We were on the beach uh, it was nice. It was very unique and very fun. Uh, we, we, you know what it is, is when I'm around people I don't know, it gives me a little bit more insight of really getting to know somebody or a bunch of different people from all different parts of the country. So uh, it was fun. And uh, then, obviously, yesterday we had a barbecue, and I just relaxed and had my boring Sundays like you usually do. But anyways, we're not here talking about my life we're here talking some sports, and I know a lot of people are complaining that there is nothing going on in the sports world. But sports is right around the corner. Uh, I don't know what's going on with baseball, and I know a lot of people are complaining about some of the, the players in the MLB that are arguing the points that they want their money and they want to be paid um, very well in, for a 72 or 76-game season. And right now, the owners aren't budging. So we will get into that a little bit later. We have a great show lined up for you guys. We will be talking to James Madison softball assistant coach Jen Herzig at 6.30. And at 7.15, we'll be talking to Hamilton Tigers Cats wide receiver Jalon Acklin. So that'll be interesting as well. Did I pronounce his name right? Yes. Okay. Because you, my friend, have terrible handwriting. But... Um, we have, I want to get into this particular story because I know a lot of people don't talk about it enough and I, I argue points that is going on in sports and a lot of people compare and contrast certain players from certain sports. And you, you talk about some of the great players in the major leagues, uh, one of them being Mike Trout. He's been the best player in the league for probably the last seven years. In the NBA, you have LeBron James, who's probably been the best player in the NBA for the last 13, 14 years. And then you have in football, you can argue your points 
depending on the position, quarterback, defense, wide receiver, I guess you could say the best player in football for the last 16 to 15 years has been Tom Brady. But to me, when I look at sports, and my argument isn't about the best player or the biggest superstar, it's about a team. And as you know, Football is probably the biggest team sport in all the professional sports. Mm. You think over hockey? Yes. Okay. Because I feel like in hockey, there's the, le- the least formalities of it. But football, you definitely... There are more positions in football. Okay. That's fair. And that's, there are, that's fair. when you talk about special teams, offense, and defense, you, you can go back and forth, which is more important, which is not. Mute that, Speedy, until we get callers. But I will tell you this. When I look at professional sports and I look at football, and I, and I have to talk about this because it's been bothering me for the last couple of days when you talk about this whole Colin Kaepernick and kneeling and, and the players disrespecting the, the flag and, and what we stand for here in the United States. It bothers me when I try to compare and contrast players because that is, in the, that is, that is not even the most important part of what is going on in sports right now. Because sports is not going on right now. You don't have football. You don't have baseball. You don't have hockey. So you're trying to find something to talk about. And I think the problem is right now in, in sports media and writing and journalism is people aren't looking at the big picture right now. It's not about the players. It's not about any of that. It's about the fans and it's about the league. But the players, again, they have their own risks in themselves. That has so. nothing to do with what I'm saying, Speedy. You can, come in, you can come in after I'm done with this. What bothers me more than anything when I watch these stupid, stupid analysts go on on ESPN and Bleacher Report, and they're talking about, well, is football coming back? Is baseball coming back? Is hockey coming back? We all know hockey and basketball is coming back. We all know it's going. It's it's coming back. It's coming back mid July, end of July. But nobody's talking about the big picture right now. There are going to be no fans, no fans out there in the audience. There, are, you, you look at the big picture, and I I know when I argue my points when it comes to sports, and I know a lot of people are probably saying, "What is he trying to get to? Where, where is he trying to go with this story?" Here's, the, here's what I'm going to. Everybody is so worried about what players are making. What owner is going to make that trade that's going to make the team better? How about let's talk about the big picture right now where sports is going. And right now, I don't care what anybody Sports is a wave of life. And I don't, I don't care what anybody says. It is a wave of life because right now, sports isn't going on. So everybody's trying to find a story or something to talk about. Or you're watching old movies, old TV shows, and nobody gives a crap. Nobody gives a crap what's on TV anymore because you're watching all these stupid reruns. So now you, you, you talk about, you're talking about everything that's going on in the world with as you guys know, with uh, the racism, the COVID-19, uh, the politics, religion, all the garbage that you're hearing right now. And I'm, and I'm not saying everything that I'm saying. COVID-19 is not a garbage thing, but I say it's garbage because it's when, when we're talking sports or when people are trying to get into the sports world and talk and trying to find stories to talk about, the first thing that comes up, blame it on COVID-19. 
Blame it on kneeling. Blame it on racism. Now, when I look at sports right now in the big picture and where it's heading, I don't know where it's heading because I'll tell you this right now. I have talked about this over and over again, show after show after show, trying to figure out something that you could talk about where you can make an argument about. And I see what Carl's writing. Don't have any revenue coming in yet. So, I, and Carl, I, I understand what you're saying. We're not even talk, I'm not even getting into the revenue situation. I, I don't even want to talk about that. I want to talk about why is it that analysts are trying to change the – they're always trying to change the perception of what's going on right now in the world. And when you bring up sports and you want to get into the conversation of what's going on in the sports world, what's going on in basketball, and, and, and they're trying to figure out how they're going to use this playoff situation. What do we have, a caller? Do we have a caller? Again, Speedy doesn't know what the heck he's doing. So anyways, but as Speedy, if you can't use it, give me the phone and I will take care of it. No, there's no caller. I mean, well, obviously, because you don't know how to use it. But what bothers me more than ever and, and anything right now, what's going on in sports, is not the fact that there's no sports going on. It's the stories that are coming out in the sports world that I completely dislike. Because the first thing that comes out when this whole, this whole George Floyd thing came out, all, all of a sudden the players are getting involved with it. And there, it, it becomes a, a racism thing, back and forth, black and white, and, and it's, it's completely bogus. It's, it's so stupid. There should be no fighting. Right now, we live in a world where there's more stuff going on outside where, where we don't even talk about. It. There are innocent people dying every single day, getting shot dead. Uh, there are people getting their heads cut off in different third world countries. And you, you try to bring sports in it so you can start talking about something that will make you excited and, and probably bring, bring you back to reality. Right. And there's nothing going on in sports. And then the fans, and I, I read stories, and a lot of these stories, I read blogs, and, and a lot of these blog writers, and I, I'll give a lot of these fans a lot of credit because there really isn't anything to write about. So you're trying to figure out something right. that will draw people to read it and listen to it. But when you're coming out, when you're talking about, I mean, the last story that I just read the other day is Deion Sanders was training with Tom Brady. That Deion Sanders' son, Deion Jr., is training with Tom Brady. Is that a big story? It isn't. So everybody's trying, and I told Speedy, what do, we, what do you want to talk about today? And he says, well, I want to talk about this, because he's trying to find stories on the computer that everybody's talking about. I don't want to talk about stories like that. Yeah, everything at this point is repetitive. But why would you go over there and look at repetitive stuff? I asked you to look for something that intrigues you, interests you, that's going on in sports. And finally, you thought with your, your small little pea brain on looking, out, looking up stories that would draw people to listen. But of course, you're just like everybody else. What you're trying to do is you're trying to draw the fans on something that nobody gives a crap about. When I think of sports right now, I think of delusion. I think of people that are blind. Don't understand what they're watching or don't even give a crap what they think that they, they know that they're watching. Now, I go and I look, I look at right now the NBA and as a whole right now, as a league. LeBron James runs the NBA. He runs the NBA. Everything LeBron James puts out there, he, it, it's got to be all about LeBron. Mm-hmm. 
LeBron has this to say. LeBron has that to say. Did you see Michael Jordan do that in the 80s and the 90s? No. In football, when you talk about the NFL, who are the big stories that come out in in football right now? What is the big name that comes out? Tom Brady, of course. They had to find a story. Well, Deion Sanders Jr. is training with Tom Brady. Who the hell cares? Where's Colin Kaepernick going? I mean, Seattle owns the rights to Colin Kaepernick. Where is he going? Who the hell cares where Colin Kaepernick is going? Wherever it is, it'll be a backup regardless. The NHL. We're trying to figure out. They're trying. Obviously, next week, I think the camps are going to open up. So the NHL is right around the corner. So we could be talking about something in sports. Maybe Lord Stanley's Cup. But this is what bothers me right now. Because I sit here and I have my producer sitting right beside me. And I asked him, what stories do you want to talk about today? And, of course, he brings up the same old garbage you listen to on sports radio, not only here but throughout the country. What you're trying to do is you're trying to draw fans to listen to the conversation, to draw them to want to conversate with you, call your show, and maybe bring up an argument that maybe other people aren't talking about right now in sports media. So when I sit here and I argue my points with what's going on in sports, I come up with topics that will draw the fan to argue with us. So now going back to LeBron James, LeBron James has been all, you know, he's been a center of attention right now in the media for the last couple of weeks, not only with the George Floyd situation, but right now where the NBA is going. And that he wants the NBA to come back and he wants the playoffs to come back. Because, of course, LeBron James believes he has a chance to win a championship this year with Anthony Davis and those uh, Lakers. No, could you let me finish what I have to say? I have, I, I've just had it. I, I've had it, and I've, I've had a long day today, and I know a lot of people are probably saying, wow, he's in a bad mood. I am in a bad mood because every day that I listen to sports – Radio and sports media, everybody's trying to find something to put into a story that has no meaning to what's going on in the world and the world in sports. Because they're trying to find something that will draw fans. And talking about the same old garbage that ESPN and CBS and NBC is talking about on their sports radio show is a bunch of bogus. And don't you say anything because you're the one bringing up these topics that you tell me we're going to talk about this and we're going to talk about that. We're talking about the same stuff everybody is talking about. And that's why I call this the delusion era. And you know why? Because everybody is deluded when it comes to sports when there's nothing going on in sports. Yeah, especially with the politics. I think those networks in particular, really, they're either one extreme or the other. So I sit here today. And we have a great show lined up, and I've got some stories to talk about, and I wanted to come into that because I'm an angry person today. I am really, really angry today. I've had a really, really rough day, and I'm here to talk sports for you guys. But I am not going to talk about the same old garbage that's on sports radio every single day. The same deluded, delusional fans out there that have their own thoughts of what's going on in sports when, to me, has no meaning to what it is today or what it's going to be tomorrow. 
Like I said, we have a great show lined up for you, and we will be talking to James Madison softball assistant coach Jen Herzig in just a few minutes. But before we do that, I do want to say this. And by the way, Carl is saying, laying it out there, no delusion. Cubs make playoffs fifth time in six years of they play. I don't know what that means. If they play. If they play. If they play. And, and, And Carl... This has nothing to do with the Cubs. This has nothing to do with the sports team. This has everything to do with the fans out there. It has everybody blinded to see. If nobody believes that sports is the wave or, 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 or the way of the world, every, it's so funny. And I, I will say this before we go to break. There are tons and tons of people out there that don't like sports. Tons. Tons of people that can't stand sports. And I'll tell you this right now. Tell me this. Go ahead, put them through. Go ahead, put them through. You having a problem there, Speedy? Oh, my God. What are you doing? It's your phone. <laughs> well, what, what I could say and what I will only say is when I watch what's going on in sports today and what, what bothers me more than anything. And by the way, guys, stop calling my phone when we are dur- we're during a real live lady- radio show. I'm so sick and tired of people calling me. You, go, you want to call the show? Call the show. We got it. 631-260-1601 if you want to talk about sports. Don't call my phone if it's not, it has nothing to do with sports. Uh, well, let's go to break. We'll come back. When we come back, we'll have Jen Herzig here on Down to the Wire. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, 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 you're listening, listening to, to Down to, to the, the Wire. wire. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Six three one two six zero one six zero one is the number. As you know, this is down to the wire. We are live every single Monday and Tuesday from six p.m. to eight p.m. New York Eastern Time. As you guys know, you can call us at again six three one two six zero. One six zero one. Well, I told you we had a great show lined up for you, and we have our first guest of the show. We are now talking to James Madison softball assistant coach Jen Herzig. What's going on, Jen? How are you? How are you doing? We are good, Jen. And uh, do you hear us, Jen? I'm sorry. Oh, there we are. You hear us now? I can hear you, but it's kind of breaking in and out. All right. Well, we're trying to fix it. We're, we're going to fix it. Hold on one second. Do you hear us now? Do you hear us better? I cannot hear you. If you're talking, I absolutely cannot hear anything. All right. All right. I'm just trying. I'm trying to get this thing working here. Do you hear us now? I got you now. Yep, oh. I got you now. All right. Wonderful. How are you? How are you and your family doing with this pandemic? Everybody's good. My my parents are in Northern Virginia. Uh, my dad owns a very small excavation company. My mom does the accounting and bookkeeping stuff for him. So for the most, she can work from home. Um, my brother is down in Greensboro. He's working from home. And then an uncle I'm real close to and a grandmother in Florida. Aside from my grandmother's assistant, you know, not letting anybody in or letting her out. I think she's going a little bananas by this point in time. But everybody is at least safe and healthy and, and doing okay. That is wonderful. So tell us a little bit about James Madison softball. What is it like coaching under Lauren? 
Uh, well, Lauren and I have worked together. Uh, we actually we worked together for five years before she became the head coach. So um, I would like to believe that we work together. It's not necessarily a, a working under somebody. I, I was a head coach for um, seven years prior to coming up here, and, and that was always the biggest thing to me with, with my staff was that this better be our program. It, it can't be my program or else we're not all invested in the same way. Um, you know, so I would like to think that that's the same on, on our staff now that, you know, everybody is equally invested and, you know, we all are responsible for our own areas and, you know, everybody is, is working as hard as they can to make the players in the program the, the best of, uh, to, to the best of their ability, um, you know, and that everybody is, is equally invested but has that amount of, of responsibility and autonomy uh, to do their job the right way. In terms of your specialty, you work with catchers and outfielders on on this James Madison team. Uh, talk about that. Uh, yeah, what, what's never what well what has never made it to my bio, and I'm not even not exactly sure why. I'm actually the hitting coach here. I've actually been the hitting oh. coach um, at JMU, um, so I was especially is working with our hitters um, from a defensive standpoint. Yes, I work with the catchers in the outfield. Um, catching is my love. It was it was what I did as a player. I was a catcher infielder. Um, you know, uh, outfield was what I was signed eight years ago when we all started here. Um, I would not say I'm a, an outfield specialist by any stretch of imagination, but um, at the end of the day, hitting is hitting is my love. Working with hitters is my love, and then you know, working with with catchers. I think the the cool thing about being in charge of both the catchers and the outfield, I feel like on most college programs, um, I don't even know that programs. I think most programs in general, I think your catchers and your typically the least undercoached positions. Um, but oftentimes have the biggest impact in terms of all game. Everybody knows that you either have it in the circle or you don't, you know, and, and nobody's team is ever going to be any better than, than their pitching staff is going to be. And I think the next amount of focus always goes to the infield. But at the end of the day, if you don't have a pitcher back there who can your pitching staff um, and you don't have an outfield that can, you know, play quality defense, that's championships are lost. Um, you know, and so I, I bring those positions that I feel like are, are very, Oftentimes, undercoached in different in different areas, um, you know. So I, I enjoy working with those kids. Um, but hitting is definitely my love. We are talking to James Madison softball assistant coach Jen Herzig. So Jen, I, I ask all these coaches. They go into they're scouting a player. They go in and talk to their families. How do you sell James Madison to the family and the player? Uh, we sell our program and we sell our players. Uh, and, and I think I think what we have done here over the course of our eight years speaks volumes and it should speak for itself. And I feel very honestly, I don't mean this to come off, you know, as, as you know, coffee or anything like that. But at the end of the day, if that doesn't speak volumes to the person, it's not the right person for us. Um, I think anytime you have to oversell, somebody's not buying what you're selling to begin with. So you may as well cut your losses and move forward. Um, you know, I think I think our per- players are what makes this program special, not just their accomplishments and their accolades. You know, the fact that they have to outwork people. But the schedule we play, our players are forced to outwork everybody else because we don't always have, you know, the exact same talent as everybody else or the exact same resources as everybody else. Um, you know, and our players take a whole lot of pride in that. I take a whole lot of pride in that as their coach. Um, you know, and I, I think that's important. It's important to celebrate the accomplishments that our kids had um, you know, and to talk about that because we've done some really, really special things here over the course of our eight years and stuff that, you know, some of the big boys haven't done year in and year out, but we have. Um, you know, and I think at the end of the day, if we have to sell, we're not having conversations with the right people. And so I'm very comfortable moving forward 
continuing to chase a kid or chase a family if they're not really getting what we're selling, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. Talk about uh, the, your, just your experience with James Madison. Since you've been there, you've uh, your team, except for the first year, may has made the NCAA regionals every year. You were a 50-win team a couple years ago. Talk about just the growth of the program and, again, your uh, your influence on the program and the things you stress as an assistant coach and a hitting coach. I, I think the kids in that very first year, I mean, we were, and this is, please understand, this is just a statement of, not a criticism, it is not a statement of opinion, it is not a statement of good or bad whatsoever. We were the exact opposite of the staff that all of those kids had chosen to play for. Um, we were different in mentality, we were different in demeanor, and in, you know, the, the expectations that we had for them, we were different in the amount of work that we asked them to put on, on you know, the table on a daily basis. We were different than what they had said yes to. And so what, the reason I say that is because those players – to buy into us, but they did anyway. You know, I think it's a whole lot easier to buy into things that, you know, are your comfort zone and, you know, like the people that you said yes to at one point in time. Um, you know, and it didn't happen, in, you know, right away, but I would say by about the middle of October, we had a senior class of four players. Only one was truly an everyday player. One, maybe two were everyday players. And, but those four jumped on board. And, you know, it was like the light bulb got flipped on. And as soon as those four bought in, the rest of the team bought in. And I'm not saying that there, it was all sunshine and rainbows after that. There was a lot of hard work. There were a lot of, there were a lot of trying times. But once that senior class bought in, the rest of the kids, it was kind of like they said, okay, if they're bought in, I'm going to buy in also. And the, that first senior class, those are the ones that changed the course of the mentality of this program. We were incredibly blessed to walk into a program with, one of the two best pitchers I've ever been around in my life and without question, the best catcher I've ever been around in my life. They were wow. freshmen for us that year. Um, you know, and having that caliber pitcher and catcher on that team as freshmen um, completely changed the course of, of what this program was able to do from a, from a win loss standpoint. Um, the kids bought in, they bought into work in detail. They bought into the fact that it was going to be hard. They bought into the fact that, you know, we were going to ask them to do things that they had never done before. Um, and they said yes to it, you know, and I think moving forward, you know, it's been the job of every single class that is coming class to keep the program moving forward. And I think, you know, that's one of the things that I want so badly to be part of my legacy, whether it's a JMU or, or any team I'm ever a part of coaching. You know, at the end of the day, I want the players who play under me to leave a program better than they found it. Mm-hmm. And I want them to leave as stronger, more confident, more independent women than the day they walk through the front doors, you know, for the very first time, you know, and I think when you focus on those two things, I think it becomes a whole lot bigger than what goes on in the field. You know, you begin coaching people, not just coaching athletes, um, you know, and that's something that, you know, if, if, if players talk about me once they're done playing for me, those are the things that I would love to hear them say about me. We are talking to James Madison softball assistant coach, Jen Herzig. Now, uh, one of our fans are actually typing and and posting up some blog uh, questions for you. Uh, Carl, one of our big fans, says, How do you tell the girls to approach a a two-strike hitting? Okay, so we share our we share our facility with our baseball program as well, and um, I work a lot of late nights, um, you know, especially during season. I do 100% of the scouting for us, um, which means I'm you know I'm in the office all hours doing scouting stuff, and I don't have a printer in my office, so I walk back and forth to the copy room where the printer is, and you know, printing scouting reports, printing spray charts, whatever it may be. 
And our baseball guys, they do study hall in our building, and they're there, you know, most nights, you know, until 10 or, you know, sometimes even 11 o'clock at night. And one night I kept walking back and forth with the printer, you know, and you could tell the guys were having a hidden conversation and stuff like that. And, you know, I stayed out of it. I minded my business. And finally I walked through at one point in time, and one of the guys says, hey, coach, can I borrow you for a second? Sure, what's up? And he said, you know, we're talking about two-strike approach. What's yours? And I just laughed, and I said, well, you're going to tell me this isn't one, but we don't have one. And he cracked up and literally, like, slapped the other guy on the shoulder, and he was like, see, I told you that's why they hit so many home runs, because they don't have a two-strike approach. And I cracked up, said he got it. Like, I appreciate the fact that you understand that that's coaching, lack of coaching. Um, I believe in swinging big and, you know, trying to hit, hit a ball as hard as you can possibly hit it. Um, I think hitting is, is an incredible can be to begin with. Mm-hmm. I think asking a player to shorten up and to change swing based on the count is nearly impossible when our players are expected to hit against the level of pitching that we see early in the season and the, the same level of, of, of pitching that we see again in postseason. So um, I'm going to tell you, I don't have a two-strike approach. My approach is that I want you to swing and figure out, you know, how hard, how much damage will swing. Um, what we do talk to our players about all the time is, you know, me saying to them, I don't care what pitch you can hit. I care what pitch you can hit hard, mm-hmm. you know, and so that's really where they start to identify their strike zone and, you know, what the strike zone is, you know, versus, you know, the, the areas that's kind of battling, you know, we're not looking to actually necessarily play. Um, I believe very strongly in foul I think foul balls are fantastic. Um, you know, there, there have been games that our dugout gets as hype, if not more hype, you know, over a, a good foul ball than they do about a hit um, <laughs> because of the magnitude of what a foul ball does for them in point in time. Um, you know, so I like a lack of coaching, but you know, swing hard in case we run into one is, you know, is, is kind of what we kind of. You talk about that. The, what can you hit hard uh, pitch? Is that something that you stress in terms of maybe getting your hitters to hit in different spots in the strike zone, hit different types of pitches? Is, is that an ex- extra sense of training that Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, um, I think it's really important. It's 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 every single hitter we have. Um, you know, we have had one player in particular. Um, she years ago was on the shorter side. You know, and she loved to swing at pitches literally chest high or up even above her shoulder. You know, around her shoulders and stuff like that. And you know, I was, and God knows the kid had a fantastic work ethic and hit extra with me a ton. You know, and it was like I would leave one up in the zone in front toss, and she you know crush the thing. You know, and I'm like, okay. But just because we can hit it doesn't mean he necessarily should hit it, you know. And I'm like, if you can hit it, you know, me throwing 40 miles an hour, 35, 40 miles an hour, that doesn't mean he can hit it at 68 or 70 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Well, she could, you know. And she was the kid who loved to prove me wrong, you know, with that. And, you know, not in a not in a spiteful way by any stretch of the imagination, but she had the power on that pitch that was well out of the strike zone. Kate Gordon, you know, who will be a fish for us this coming year, has power on pitches that are significantly out of the strike zone on the up end. Um, you know, and that's not a pitch that some people, you know, some other people on our roster can necessarily play, you know, so it's knowing what pitch they can manage on, what pitch do they actually hit the hardest and never letting that pitch go, you know, and if we foul it off, fantastic, or called strike. Jen, I, I, me and my producer over here, we've been arguing about positioning on the field, especially in baseball. And softball is obviously a little bit different from baseball. And we've argued the point that he believes that uh, center field is the most important defensive position on the field. And my argument was shortstop and catcher. If you were to choose a position right now in softball or even baseball, 
what would you pick to be the most important position defensively on the field? Are we taking the pitcher out of the conversation? The pitcher out of the conversation. Just the, the play, you know, usually the normal catcher, okay. first base, then, third base. Then, yeah, then I'm going to I'm gonna side with you, and I'm going to go our catcher, our shortstop, and then I would go um, our center fielder. I would work straight up the middle. Um, actually, for us, our second baseman has a tremendous amount of responsibility as well, so I would work straight up the middle of the field. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, knowing what we expect out of our pitching staff, if we don't have a catcher who is phenomenal back there, um, we don't have legs to stand on. You know, so at the end of the day, I don't care how good my middle infielders are. I don't care how good my center fielder is. If we don't have a catcher behind the plate that can handle the pitching staff, mm-hmm. um, I feel like you know our legs get cut out. So you're even, even quicker. So you're um, picking I, the catcher. I, I, would, I would definitely say catcher, but I would I would work straight up the middle of the field all those positions. So I, I would agree with both of you guys. Yes. Talk about the catching because again, that's one of the specialties you have. In terms of softball, do you think the craft of catching in softball because the pitching motion is underhand, you have the double, triple rotation. You think the craft and the, just the whole concept of catching is different in softball than baseball. And if so, how? Um, I teach differently than baseball catching coaches teach a lot of it. And I actually, I would say this has been one of the biggest privileges of my entire coaching career in terms of something I did off the field, you know, in a game setting, you know, with my own team, but I got to work at camp a couple of summers ago for a friend of mine um, who's the head coach at Virginia Wesleyan over in Virginia Beach. And he has a very, very good friend who is actually a major league catching catcher for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And um, was living back in Virginia Beach at the time and has two daughters that used to attend the camps and everything. And both of his daughters were pitchers. Well, anyway, this guy instructed a camp with me one summer, and it was, it was one of the highlights of my entire career. Hmm. What was so cool was – at the end of the day, you know, we had older kids, we had little kids, you know, and at the end of the day, I'm really compared to this. And I said to him, like, I want you to be with me. What do I teach that you do not teach? What do I teach differently? And he said, you teach everything exactly the same way I teach it, except for glove positioning when you're receiving. <laughs> Baseball catchers catch with a bent elbow with the glove much deeper against their chest. I want my catchers to go out with a completely straight, almost locked out arm and extend everything back towards the pitcher. So the glove is always pointed in a straight line in front of her chest as much as possible with the glove actually facing back to the pitcher, regardless of where the ball has been received. That's of that. We taught blocking the same way. We taught throwing mechanics the same way. We taught footwork the exact same way. Everything else he and I taught um, were exactly the same with exception of the receiving position, you know, in terms of the, the glove and the arm strength. And he said to me, he said, now my daughters are pitchers. He said, but I'm telling you right now, if my daughters were catchers, I would teach them what you teach, not because I've listened to you, but because it's what makes sense to me. He said, I am so much stronger in my upper body than you are, meaning me. He said, you know, I wouldn't think my daughters would be able to handle somebody who truly threw hard with a bent elbow. He was like, I would want them going out and extending back to the pitcher exactly like what. You know, I think a lot of ways it is very, very similar. Um, You know, I I always try to look, you know, and if if something is a better way to do it, you know, I'm not set in my ways. Mm-hmm. say no to it, but it's got to make sense, and I've got to see proof in doing it. Um, and I haven't I haven't caught on to the bent arm, you know, behind the plate you know, <laughs> in terms of receiving it. I, I can't get – that's the one thing I can't get on board with just yet. <laughs> we are talking to James Madison softball assistant coach Jen Herzig. So, Jen, I, I watch baseball, and and I'm a huge baseball fan, and I get the chance to watch softball. I watch the United States softball team play when when they have those tournaments, the Olympics. Uh, I also watch the uh, softball World Series. 
that's that it, that's intriguing. You don't really get a chance to watch a lot of softball here in New York on TV because they don't really play a lot of girls softball. Only when the playoffs come around and the World Series comes around. So let me ask you this question: the the differences between softball and baseball, and the differences of playing with a metal bat to a wooden bat in baseball. No, I, I, my question is my my question is I, yeah, my question is is knowing that you know softball they 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 use metal bats and and in 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 college baseball they use metal bats and in the majors they use wooden bats. What are, as a as a a batting coach? What is the difference? What is the difference from hitting with a bat, a wooden bat or a metal bat? Wood bat is the most real feel of anything you're ever gonna you're ever gonna put in your hand. Um, totally unforgiving. Um, you know when you hit a sweet spot. You know when you've missed the sweet spot equally as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, uh, it's it just so much more of a real feel um, and, and a, a more. And it's not even funny. I, I think with with metal, you know, or composite, either one. I think it's you, you've got a little bit more of of room for error in terms of where you're actually making contact with it and everything. Um, you know, so I, you know, I think baseball, you know, with a wood bat is as true as it. I actually do a whole lot of training with wood bat over mm-hmm. the winter because number one, it's heavier than what our bats are or composite bats are, and so you know, it's a strength training element to it. Um, they have to force their hands to stay high in the zone or else their hands and their barrel drop, you know, just naturally. Um, we also do it for the feel of it and for them truly learning, you know, how to actually get their sweet spot to the right part of the softball as well. So um, we actually do some of that stuff in addition to, to what we use in games. Talk about this softball substitution strategy, and it's a lot different than baseball. You have designated offensive players. You have some designated defensive players. Do you like the strategy of softball more than more than baseball in terms of the way their uh, managerial strategy is and substitutions? You know, I love it because it's all I know. Um, you know, and so I, I don't have something you know that I've actually done myself to compare it to. So you know, it, it's what makes sense to me. Um, you know, for us, we have a one-time reentry. So any of our starters can be subbed out and can go back into the lineup in the same spot they came out of um, one time before they're, you know, done for the day. Um, substitutes are done, you know, as soon as they enter a game and come out, they would obviously be done. Um, we have a player that is, is tied to a flex player who would be in the 10th position on our, on our lineup card. Um, the flex player just plays defense for us but doesn't hit but the flex player has the ability to go up into the batting order and enter the offensive order wherever the DP, those two players are tied together, if that makes sense. So she's allowed to go up into that DP spot. She can hit, she can run, she can do whatever. So there's a whole lot of flexibility and, you know, kind of creative maneuvering that coaches can actually do, um, you know, when when they actually truly understand the DP flex rule, um, you know, and, and can kind of maximize. You know, it's, it's, it's basically used for, for a program based on some. Did we lose you? I don't know if we lost her. <laughs> you, you still there? Nope. I'm, I can still hear you guys. Oh, I good, good. Because th- we thought we lost you. Uh, as you guys know, we are talking to James Madison softball assistant coach, Jen Herzig. Jen, we had Lauren on the show, and we got into a little baseball conversation. And. Um, I, I asked her what it, what was her thoughts to the whole Houston Astros uh, cheating scandal. In your thoughts, what did you think about the cheating scandal? And did you think that the MLB gave uh, did enough 
uh, as far as I'm concerned, of suspensions and firing of uh, coaches and uh, GMs. You know, I, I don't, I don't know what you know would have been enough, wouldn't have been enough. You know, I think they, they absolutely made a statement. Um, you know, I would like to think that that is something that is, you know, was heard loud and clear across the league. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I believe in playing the game the right way. You know, I don't think any win is worth a win if if you've got to you know cheat and cut corners to get there you know and I've said for my entire career I would rather something take me longer to accomplish to be able to look myself in the face and know I've done it the right way versus getting there quicker because I've cut corners to do it um you know I think there is I think there's scouting and then I think there's cheating and I think that you completely you know and, and when you when you do things the right way um you know I think you should be entitled to any amount of information you can gather on your own and figure out and stuff like that. And I absolutely think it crosses the line when it comes down to, to stealing. Um, you know, and so, I, yes, I think they, they made I think that statement needed to be made. Hope uh, wasn't enough of a statement um, that it carries forward, you know, for the rest of for the baseball when it gets revisited down the road because it wasn't enough of a statement, um, you know, and either people forgot to quit, you know, didn't think that the penalty was severe enough that, you know, they they weren't they weren't deterred from from trying the same thing basically. So I, I would like to say I hope so. In terms of if that were to happen to you, you think an opponent is stealing signs electronically, cheating in that manner. How would you approach your game plan and maybe what you tell your, your pitchers, your hitters, uh, just assistant any any player on your team being the assistant coach? If you were to sense that. What would you tell those players? And also, what do you think Lauren would tell those players, too, as the manager? You know, I think I think across the board, I think our staff would, would communicate to the team. Number one, I think we would not communicate. If we didn't think the kids, I don't think we would communicate it. I don't think we would throw that information out there. I think that would do more harm in the long run. I think it would get in somebody's head versus just being information. Now, if our kids already knew that it was happening, I think that's a completely different story. Um, so let's play the scenario out where the kids already know what's going on. Um, you know, to me, it's just one more factor that we need to work around. You know, it's our job to be able to, to play. Um, you know, for us, it means that they've got our signals. We better figure out something else to do with them. Each one of our pitchers has multiple call cards. We call them wristbands. Uh, that's how our pitch calling is done. That's how our offensive signals are called. Um, we've got a whole lot of sets of each of those things, both offensive and defensive, each one has something specific to yourself. So, you know, I think number one, I think the first thing we would do is, you know, go back to, you know, just switching cards out, you know, more frequently or using somebody's different card, um, you know, versus, you know, our, 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 you know, have our pitchers switch up cards or something to that effect. Um, you know, then at the end of the day, we still have, you know, a number signal. We would go to that. Um, you know, so I think, you know, it's just one of those things that it becomes another hurdle to kind of overcome during a game you know I don't know that it's any different than you know let's let's say you know you're the player who thinks that the you know umpires are calling against you and you know you're not getting a fair shake and stuff like that it's just something to overcome during a game so I think I would downplay it as much as possible um, where the players still felt like they had enough control where they were still in, in charge of the outcome of the game that it wasn't you know because our opponent knows this this and this you know, we've already shot ourselves in the foot and, you know, the outcome has already been decided. Jen, one of the fans asked me to ask you, who is more of the comedian of the coaches, you or Lauren? Um, I would actually say Libby, our pitching coach. Mm-hmm. Between the three, it is definitely not going to be me. Um, <laughs> I, I think I'm very 
the serious one, I'm the one who I would say is the most intense. Um, Lauren is very loving and very um, kind of motherly with the kids. Um, Libby is, is younger than both of us, so she's, she's much closer in age to them than we are. Um, so I think Libby is kind of a little bit of the jokester at times. Um, so I would actually go with my vote would be Libby, actually. Last question for me. You had a case uh, this past season where you were playing in the Los Angeles Super Regional against UCLA in 2019. And again, yep. the, they got to they got to host the game in Los Angeles. And baseball and softball have it where that's the rule and no other NCAA sports are like that. Are you in favor of that rule or do you think it's something that benefits these power teams a lot more? Uh, no, it actually does not benefit the power teams um, at all, actually. It benefits the highest-seeded teams. Um, it is 100% to me done the right way. Um, it used to be, a bunch of years ago, it used to be that our regionals and then following that super regionals were actually just hosted truly reach-pick sites all across the country. Um, several years ago, it changed to the top 16 seeds got to host the regional. Um, we have been in that mix you know, more than once. Then the top eight seeds, you know, if all the seeds hold, the top eight seeds hold host the Super Regional. And I 100% believe in that. I think it's it's the reason that, you know, you work hard all year long and you try to get yourself seated as high as you possibly can. Um, you know, and what's great about it, as long as your facility meets standards, you know, with the NCAA, it doesn't matter who you are or what conference you come out of. Um, you know, had, had we been the higher seeded team, UCLA would have come to us. Um, you know, and, and that wasn't the case. And we, you know, absolutely loved our experience going out to UCLA. But I, I completely believe in the system. I absolutely think the NCAA does it the right way. Um, you know, and it, it truly, it truly gets your kids to understand that every single game matters because you have no idea at any point in time which which game is going to bump you from being the nine seed to the eight seed. You know, where you could be on the road for a super regional versus hosting a super regional, and that is a very, very, very big difference in our game. We are talking to James Madison softball assistant coach Jen Herzing. Jen, uh, the major leagues and really all over professional sports, the the leagues are trying to speed up the game or make the game more fun to watch. And baseball, which I completely dislike, are right now deciding if they should get rid of the umpires behind the plate and use electronical umpires. Do you think bringing in electronic umpires is going to help the game or make the game worse moving forward? Um, You know, I'm very much a traditionalist. It's something I don't want to see at all. Um, You know, I think think it is a game of people. Um, There, yes, is a very small margin of human error, and I think that that's a good thing. Um, you know, I, I think these guys are paid a whole lot of money and I think they're the we're more appalled by anybody when they don't have a perfect game, you know, and, and I know some very, very good umpires at the, at the college softball level, they beat themselves up worse than what any coach could ever say to them. I, I can only imagine what guys in major league baseball, you know, how seriously they take it. Um, I don't want to see, you know, it go electronically, um, by any stretch of the imagination. You know, I do think that, um, training and I think they need to take their fitness and their workouts incredibly seriously and I think they need to work as hard as the athletes do um, you know and that's that's been the thing that I think you know is in, in our sports I respect the most stand is every year they get a year older and every year the college athlete stays the same age mm-hmm. every year the college athlete is still 19 to 21 years old and every year they get one more year older and a little bit slower <laughs> you know and whatever it may be I think it's maybe a tiny bit worse and they work at it and and that's in the college level on the on the 
I truly can't imagine the preparation and the work and the pride that Major League Baseball umpires put into their game. You know, and I just, I would, I, I really would hate to, honestly, I think it would change the, the game so much. It's not even, um, you know, stay home and play Xbox. <laughs> my, my suggestion there, you know, I think it's a game of people and it needs to stay a game of people. Uh, before we let you go, could you tell us a particular player going into next year that you're looking forward to coaching? I mean, I, obviously you're going to say you're looking forward to coach all your players, but is there a particular player that stands out your recruiting class that you can't wait to coach? Um, of the incoming class, uh, I would say our, our incoming catcher. Uh, I've known her for several years at this point. I'm, I'm super excited to, to actually work with her on a daily basis. Um, you know, that, that's going to be a whole lot of fun for me, um, you know, just to continue to see her grow and everything. Uh, the returners, our freshman catcher this past year, uh, she was very much thrown into the fire and, you know, became a star, you know, even what she expected, you know, in December and, and over Christmas break, um, you know, due to some personnel changes on the team over over that, that break period, um, you know, and, and she took the bull by the horn and, you know, jumped in and, and did an amazing and knowing that, you know, she had a shortened season under her belt, but she was able to catch a, a two-time All-American and, you know, really settle in and find a comfort zone with Odyssey. Um, you know, I want to see what Emily can do in year when she has, you know, a little bit more composure underneath her and a little bit more maturity underneath her, and, you know, she's a little bit more seasoned. Um, in terms of our upperclassmen, I am super, super excited about the three seniors that are coming back. Huh. Uh, two are All-American, Kate Gordon, outfielder, Odyssey Alexander, a pitcher. Um, they're, they're both they're both All-American. Um, you know, Kate has pretty much done everything you can do from an offensive standpoint. Odyssey is, is one of the best two-way players I've ever even seen in my life. The kid still has no idea how good she is. <laughs> I hope she figures it out before she graduates because she's, <laughs> she's an unbelievable athlete. And then, you know, I, I've said you know for the longest time i've never even seen a second baseman as good as ours is um the defensive plays that madison myokas makes they're just silly you know it's one of those things you just you honestly sit in the dugout and kind of chuckle about how good she actually is you wow. know? And, and i can't tell you the number of times it's said in the season god she's good like she's just so good you know and, you know it's one of those thank god she's on our team kind of thing um so to be able to bring those three seniors back and do it one more time with them i'm just i'm so incredibly thrilled that you know, our shortened season wasn't the, the way that those three players walked out of the program for the last time. I'm, I'm them to come back and be able to compete for one more championship. Um, you know, and to have a group of six underclass six incoming freshmen, um, you know, that are going to have their eyes very much wide open because it's going to be a roster that's been bigger than, you know, any roster any college athlete has ever played on because it's five classes, not just four. Um, you know, I'm really excited to see what they do with the bonus year in terms of leadership and maturity and, you know, how they close this chapter of their lives and, you know, what they truly do to move this program forward in one last year. Jen, before we let you go, why don't you tell the fans how they can find you all over social media? Social media. Our Twitter is at JMU Softball. Um, I believe our Instagram is the same. It's not very, very similar, but I believe it's the same. Um, this is bad that I don't know this. It's, it's <laughs> logged in on my phone so I don't ever search for it when I do some of our posts. Um, I just I just open up the app. Um, but I would believe they're both at JMU Softball uh, for both accounts. Awesome. Before we let you go, could you give us your email address because we want to send you all the files and the audio file from this interview to all your fans throughout your social media. Sure thing. It's my last name, Herzig, H-E-R-Z-I-G 
jl at jmu.edu. That's why I told my producer to pick up the pen, but he's standing there like with wondering what I'm telling him to do. But Jen, <laughs> he's he's sitting here. It's it's so funny because before we let you go, it it's been a crazy day here in Long Island. It's actually 73 degrees. It feels it's beautiful outside, but for some reason today is like a a hex day. Every every people are driving like lunatics all over all over the roads over here, and I, I really don't believe that people well, you actually know, know. You don't know what to do when the, when the yeah when the temperature cools back off after it's been ninety or ninety two degrees. Nobody knows what to do with themselves when it's back in the seventies, right? Oh my God! I, I I tell you, Jen, I I think that like the, it's the end of the world today. There are people, there are kids, uh, you, you know, skateboarding across the street, a busy street right now, and cars flying down the road. I'm surprised. I I almost saw a kid get hit off a. Uh, off his uh, skateboard. So it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy today. I don't know what it is. Wow. Twilight zone today. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Jen, uh, thank you for joining us. And and by the way, we talked to Lauren uh, about a week and a half ago. She's awesome. And uh, when we were talking about if, if there's any opportunity for us to come down to Virginia and, and interview the team and the players, he, she would love for us to come down there. And we'd love to meet you and, and do a, a live interview with you in the near future. Absolutely. That'd be fantastic. Absolutely. Jen, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate the invite. Absolutely. Uh, assistant coach from James Madison, Jen Herzig. Gave us some good information, not only with uh, her team, but some Major League Baseball thoughts as well. When we come back, we'll get more into some sports. I want to get into some NBA talk, and we'll have our second guest. Who do we have have at 7.15? Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL wide receiver Jalen Acklin. And that will be at 7.15, so stay tuned here on The Great Down to the Wire. You're, you're, You're listening to the World Wide Sports Radio Network. You're you're, you're You're listening listening to Down to to the Wire wire. on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. 631-260-1601 is the number. As you know, this is Down to the Wire. We are live from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. New York Eastern Time every Monday and Tuesday. And as you guys know, you can download our... Actually, you can go to our website by going to our website at www.sportsonthego1.com or you can go to worldwidesportsradio.com and you can download our app. How do you do that? You go to Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, or you can go to the iOS, WWSRN. I'd like to thank Jen Herzig, the James Madison softball assistant coach, for joining us. And we have our second guest of the day. We are now talking to Hamilton Tigers Cats wide receiver, Jalen Acklin. What's going on, Jalen? Nothing much. Just chilling at the house. Just chilling at the house. You watching a baseball game? You were telling me uh, off air. Yeah. <laughs> what baseball game? Yeah, I don't usually watch baseball, but there's not many sports on. So. What baseball game are you guys watching? We're watching Florida State versus Wichita State in the 2006 College World Series. Wow! Wow! So, uh, how are you and your family doing with this pandemic right now? Oh, we're doing good. I mean, as good as we can. I've been, I live in the Ozarks down in Missouri. So there's a lot of like floating. We've been going like kayaking and stuff. And I've been playing, uh, you know, basketball and football with my little brothers. Been working out every morning. So I mean, it's been nice. It's like I'm in high school again or something. 
So, Jalen, why don't you tell us a little bit about the CFL? I've watched the CFL for the la- really for the last 10 years. Everybody knows where Kurt Warner came from. He came from the CFL. What is your thoughts to the CFL and the growth of the Canadian Football, the Canadian football League? Oh, I love the CFL. Uh, you know, it's just a, it's a different experience. Even though it borders the United States, not very many people from the states have really been up there. It's a beautiful country. Um, everyone, uh, I you know I love coffee and pancakes, so I fit in pretty well there. So, uh, but yeah, the, the CFL is a league. It's a little hard to get used to the running. You have to like run forward at the snap as a wide receiver. But once you get the hang of it, I mean, it's a lot like it's a lot like the NFL or any other college football a uh, little different having 12 people there's different coverages different things you gotta you gotta look for there's always like two or three safeties in you gotta you know kind of adjust to that but I like it overall it's a lot of fun playing as wide receiver what do you think are some of the differences just based on one a larger field and two the uh, the rules of the CFL in terms of what is different about the CFL or Canadian football in general in comparison to American football where you played in college yeah, a lot of difference. So the the one was being like in the middle of the end zone. So that was kind of weird. Also, you can actually like if you're on offense, catch a ball and the game's tied, I can kick it to the back of the end zone and we get a point. Hmm. So that was a little weird, kind of like a a rugby type deal. We actually hit that on us, um, but they didn't get it. the they have, but. It's not that hard to adapt to it, um, and as far as, it's basically just like playing on field. I, in my opinion, I, I can't really tell the difference between how big it is. Just because there's one extra, so there's more men on the field. As you guys know, we are talking to Hamilton Tigers catch wide receiver Jalen Acklin. Jalen, uh, I know you grew up a big football fan. Is there a particular player that stood out to you as a kid that you always wanted to play like or you wanted to be? Uh, yeah, my, my one would probably be soccer. I always wanted to be Cristiano Ronaldo mm. when I was a kid. Not but, football? Uh, football. <laughs> probably John Elway. John Elway. My favorite as a kid. You're a wide receiver. You're a wide receiver. Why would you want to be John Elway? I I, I played quarterback. Oh. That's why I didn't. That's why I didn't like get any looks in college at wide receiver. I played like a really small school, but I like John Elway's swag and stuff. I like how he carried himself. So I always like wanted to be like him. Is there a particular receiver that you think you model your game around the most? Whether it's in the NFL, whether it was in college football growing up or is it still John Elway being the biggest influence on your game? <laughs> nah, I would say I worked out with Ed McCaffrey in mm-hmm. Denver. So uh, he played with John Elway too. And my dad always talked about Ed. So I believe Ed McCaffrey is the one for Adam Thielen. I like Thielen. I like Michael Thomas, but Ed McCaffrey is the one that now just a tough wide receiver catches everything. Um, you know, knows where to knows where to catch the ball. I would say Ed for sure. Well, it's funny you say Ed because his uh, son Christian McCaffrey is one of the best running backs in the league. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, Christian. Yeah, Christian works out as I do. Lando and uh, Lando. Mm-hmm. He has a bigger brother, I think. I forgot his name. He plays wide receiver at the Forty ers So yeah, athletic family though. <laughs> 
We are talking to Hamilton Tigers' uh, Cats wide receiver, Jalen Acklin. Now, Jalen, playing in the CFL, the game is completely different from the NFL, the speed of the game, uh, different rules. When you look at the NFL and the rules and and how they're they're trying to change the rules right now, they're trying to take the onside kick away. Uh, You you, you can challenge plays now on the field uh, because of the whole Saints debacle against the Rams uh, about uh, two years ago. What are your thoughts with the different rules from the NFL to the CFL? And if you if you actually were brought or you were uh, signed by an NFL team, how would you fit in the NFL style of game with the rules different from the CFLs? Uh, yeah, that's a tough question because there is the game's always adapting, especially with the kickoffs and stuff. Uh, you know, special teams players aren't as aren't as needed in the NFL anymore as they used to be for like a roster spot for like a return man per se. But in the CFL, uh, I mean, you can't be within five yards of a return whenever they catch the ball. So you need a good return man. And, uh, you know, so as far as me, I'd have to, I I wouldn't be able to be like a kick return or anything in the NFL. I don't think, uh, like as far as like a system I'd be good in would be like, the Patriot system or something like that. I'd always want to play for the Patriots. I've always, I've always liked the the Giants for some reason. I don't really know why, but I'm a real big fan of Barkley and them. But as far as rules go, I, I I've always played with like American rules can be that difficult. But the CFL, there's still rules I don't even know in the CFL. Like there's a whole bunch of like quirky rules. But <laughs> I just try to ask the players, ask the vets as it goes on. Is there a difference with the route concepts as a whole with the CFL because of those different rules in comparison to what you see in the NFL? Is it a greater variety? Is it more different in terms of what they specialize in more? What are some of the biggest differences you've noticed? I'd say it's more down the field, more read uh, routes because you only get three downs, whereas in the NFL you get four downs to go 10 yards. So you basically only have two plays to get 10 yards. So that's why there's not as much running in the CFL as well. Running backs aren't as valued, I'd say, as they are in the NFL. There's a lot more down-the-field pass plays because you've got to get more yards per play than you do in the NFL. Now, Jalen, is there a particular player in the NFL that you can kind of compare yourself to? I mean, the speed, the stamina, or just the the route running. Is there a particular player that you have watched in the last couple of years that you can compare your game to? Uh, I used to always really look up to Adam Thielen, um, just because he was from a small school. Uh, but one player that I've always, I really, really like watching right now is Michael Thomas. Mm-hmm. Do you think, uh, in terms of the NFL wide receiver position as a whole and the CFL wide receiver position as a whole, do you think the rules have really shifted it more towards the wide receivers because of the rules? And do you see that kind of thing in the CFL or do you think the CFL has done things a little differently? Um, yeah, I think the CFL has done it a little differently, but I mean, not, not too different. CFL is like a big proponent of like player safety. And I know the NFL is getting into that now. And the CFL actually already had the, uh, the, uh, you could review penalties and stuff before. They're kind of like the people who, uh, tried it out for the NFL. So, so yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really know. We are talking to Hamilton Tiger Cats wide receiver Jalen Acklin. Now, Jalen, again, uh, the NFL is completely different from the CFL, and the coaches are completely different. 
when you watch coaches like Bill Belichick or Andy Reid and, 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 and watch these guys coach their players and you see some of the talented players they have, like Tyreek Hill, when you watch these players, is there a particular coach that if you were to, like I said, if you were to go to the NFL, is there a particular coach that you would like to play under? Is, is it a Bill Belichick? Is it a Andy Reid? Or is it a, a Harbaugh? Is there a particular coach that you just like his style of game and that you, you would love to be coached by that particular coach? Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's coaches that I, that I really like. There's no coach that I really dislike, um, but I really liked Harbaugh whenever I was there. He was a gritty guy. I've always liked Belichick. I feel like he's a, a blue collar, um, you know, do things the right way type of guy. And he, yeah, even Andy Reid. Every player that I've played with that's had the chance to be under Andy Reid has uh, really liked him. So I mean, obviously anywhere I went in the NFL, I'd like to I'd like to go. But as far as coaches, Coach Harbaugh is a really really good coach to me, and he's a really good guy off the field too. In terms of your teammates, you actually played with two all-stars this year, and Braylon Addison was one, and Brandon Banks, who also used to play in the NFL for the Redskins. Uh, what are the, some of the things that they've taught you as a wide receiver, and what is your experience like of being their teammates now with, with Hamilton? Oh, yeah, it was awesome. Uh, you know, they taught me more of like what to do off the field as a pro, which really helped me out. Like, uh, Brandon's really good with, like um, – you know, dealing with dealing with issues off the field. He uh, he actually owns like a lot of businesses. He kind of taught me like how to use my money and stuff. And uh, Braylon's kind of taught me like the, the importance of film. Braylon was one of those guys that was like the first guys in, last guys out of the of the building. So I'd always stay stay and watch film with him. We'd go over like the weaknesses of the defense. So they kind of all taught me a little bit of everything. Jalen, uh, playing in the CFL, is there a particular corner that you just don't play play well against? Is there a particular corner that you love to play against in the CFL? Uh, nah. I mean, <laughs> I, I see all corners as ops. Um, I feel like I do good against any corner I go against. But um, the a corner that I really did respect, that's Bears now. His name's Trey Robertson. He played for Calgary. Mm-hmm. He's a very athletic very athletic corner that I went against. He was a pretty good guy. He talked a little smack, but uh, but yeah, he, he he was he was nice. He got my respect. <laughs> In uh, this year, you guys went to the Grey Cup this season, and what was that experience like of that whole playoff run? Just the season in general, a very successful season all the way to the championship. Yeah, I mean, it was awesome. Obviously, would have liked to uh, to win it. I've never really won a championship in football. Really, but uh. Yeah, it was really cool. It was a cool, like, first experience for me. Uh, first year I got to go to the Grey Cup, but hopefully I get to go to some more and then hopefully win. Jalen, was was football your love in high school, or did you play other sports that you saw yourself as a better athlete in, and why did you choose football over all the other sports that you were good at? Yeah, no, I always I – always, like dreamed of playing professional football. I never really thought of me doing anything else, honestly. Even though I went to like a small school and stuff, uh, I, but I did play basketball and track. I won mm-hmm. state in the in the hurdles and track. But uh, yeah, even whenever I was a little kid, like I'd always envision myself like playing catch outside in the yard and like 
just being on TV. I don't know. I always, I, I just always wanted to play football. You talk about the small schools a lot, and again, between FCS schools and Division Two schools, a lot of these teams aren't really as highly touted in terms of thinking that the prospects are going to be good, be good at, but at the same time, some of them have been good. You were talking about Adam Thielen. He was D2. Carson Wentz, when healthy, has been very good at FCS school. Do you think those guys get disrespected and that fuels them to a certain extent being from a smaller school? Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I know a lot of small school guys that have made it, and you just got to you gotta look at it as like a chip on your shoulder, just like you said, and I mean, it motivates you even that much more every day because you know that, like, you could have been somewhere else, but this is the team that took a chance on you. So you can't, like, you can't, like, hold it against anyone, but, like, you just got to use it as motivation just to be better every day. Uh, one of our fans are asking us on our blog, Carl is asking, what is it like traveling when you're playing in the CFL? Oh, it's sick. You get to go everywhere. Like, Montreal is awesome. That's where they all, like, speak French, and they all drive, like, foreign cars. <laughs> Everyone, like, smokes cigarettes. It's like you're in a movie or something. I mean, Calgary's really nice with, like, the mountains. And uh, Vancouver's really beautiful. It's, like, right by the ocean. It's beautiful uh, over there. Yep. You know, it's a totally different. Beautiful. It's unreal. So you get to experience, like, a lot of different places. And me being from the Ozarks, I'm just thankful because a lot of people from they don't get to do that, but do you, I'm do lucky you, enough to get to. Did you ever watch that TV show on Netflix, The Ozark? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's actually uh, from around where I'm, like, from. Really? The, the show's based off that. So, yeah. I've only watched one season because it kind of it kind of made us look bad. <laughs> but, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> Viewers. <laughs> do you have a favorite moment or play in your CFL career so far, or even your college career, if you want to go back that far? Um, yeah, probably college right now. Uh, I would say uh, we played UNI on homecoming, and I caught a pass, the game winner, with like six seconds left. Like, my whole family was there, so that was pretty cool. From like the, you've ever been to UNI Stadium or heard about it, it's like a dome, and they seat like 45,000, so it's pretty loud. It, it was a pretty cool experience, but yeah, that was probably my favorite catch. As you guys know, we are talking to uh, Hamilton Tigers, uh, Cats, wild, uh, I'm sorry, wide receiver, Jalen Acklin. And by the way, my producer is a ter- has terrible handwriting, so it's very hard to read how he pronounces your name. But anyways... Um, the CFL, and I know you have dreams and admirations. You you would love to play in the NFL. Um, do you see yourself playing in the NFL? There's a lot of – there's the last couple of years, we've seen a lot of CFL players get into the NFL. They've gotten contracts. The Jets had three uh, three players coming from the CFL last year that played on their defense uh, with all the injuries. Do you see yourself uh, being picked up or signed by one of these NFL teams in the future? You know, maybe if that opportunity came up, I would. But, like, right now I'm only – like, I hate to be, like, cliche or whatever, but I, I'm i just focused on Hamilton and, you know, winning a Grey Cup. And then after that, this season, whenever my contract's up, we'll see what happens. But, you know, I'd like to stick in Hamilton for the long haul. But if the opportunity arises, yeah, for sure, I'd love to 
I'll give it another run at NFL again. You know, it's interesting to me. I, I want to, and I, I, I'm sure you're not going to tell me how much you make every single year, but I'm very in, interested and intrigued on how much uh, a CFL player makes in the CFL from the NFL. I mean, you don't have to tell me how much you make, but borderline numbers. How much do an average CFL player make from a contract every single year? Uh, the average, you probably make 110. Canadian, really, hundred ten thousand. That's not so, bad. Yeah, so it's pretty nice. I mean, it's nothing. Well, not you're not making money. millions of you're dollars, obviously. Driving like Teslas or anything, but <laughs> it, it is nice. <laughs> Do you think, in terms of the Canadian following as a whole, because it's a hockey country, really, that's its big sport. They love lacrosse. They love a lot of other things more than they did football. Do you think? That has helped. That has hurt the CFL as a whole, or do you think there's the Canadians as a whole really embrace football more than people realize? Oh yeah, Canadians embrace football more than I ever realized. I don't know about everyone else, but uh, yeah, like the the fans are pretty ruthless up there. Like uh, I've been to a couple places. I've been to some pro games. I even played like in Baltimore, and it's honestly pretty much the same atmosphere that you get there at some places. I mean, like. Vancouver doesn't have as much of the following, but uh, like you go to Winnipeg, you go to Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan seats like seventy thousand people. Wow! But uh, yeah, I mean it, it, it's all it, it's all like uh, basically just like the league in uh, down south, honestly. As you guys know, we are talking to Hamilton Tigers Cats wide receiver Jalen Acklin. Now, Jalen, I I grew up. I was a wide receiver too when I played high school football. I grew up a Jerry Rice fan. I also uh, loved Brandon Marshall when he played for the Broncos. Was there a particular player growing up? You're 24 years old that you followed and and you wanted to be like. I mean, I know you you said the quarterback John Elway, but uh, you're a wide receiver now, and you're looking at the position now, and you you want to try to characterize the way you play at the position. Was there a particular player that you grew up as a wide receiver that you liked that stood out to you out of all the wide receivers in the NFL? Uh, yeah, but I'd have to go college mm-hmm. and say Michael Crabtree at Texas Tech. Wow. Mm-hmm. I used to always watch his games with, uh, gosh, who was that quarterback? Graham, Graham Harrell. Mm-hmm. I actually had their jerseys, the Texas Tech jerseys. I used to watch them as a kid. He also played with Johnny Manziel, didn't he? Crabtree. No, that was Texas A&M. Texas A&M. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I love Johnny Manziel, too, but wide receiver, Crabtree. Mm. Mm-hmm. Do you think in terms of the way the offensive NFL schemes are shifted now, there's a lot of wide receivers lining up as running backs, vice versa. You see running backs that are pass-catching backs and line up all over the place. Could you see the CFL kind of adopting a lot of those concepts, those college-type offenses, motion-type offenses? Do you see that kind of transitioning happening, or do you think it's going to be a little more sticking to their values? Yeah, I honestly, I, you can see it. Uh, we saw it a little bit last year, even with like our running backs. Uh, you know, you have to be versatile now with all the defenses and what they do to kind of counteract it. And we had a really good running back that was able to do a little bit of everything. He played wide out. Uh, on A and B too, but uh, but yeah, you can see it shifting a little bit in Canada, but I don't know how much it'll shift just because we have two downs and the Canadian ratio. A lot of people are using Canadian running backs now and using four or American wide receivers. So if you don't know about the Canadian ratio, you have to have like a certain number of Canadian players on the field <laughs> to American. So it's 
gets really complicated, and I don't even know it. I just know whenever I'm on the field and whenever I'm not. So, uh, so yeah, I don't know, because you'd have to find a really good Canadian running back to be able to – a really versatile Canadian running back to be able to do that, which there is some, like the one at Oklahoma State coming up. But, uh, I mean, how much it will make an effect on the CFL, though. In terms of the – CFL offenses with the bigger field. You mentioned that there's three downs. Do you think that certain coaches play it differently in terms of style, in terms of the, the scheme? Is there more concepts with play action? Is there more concepts? You, you mentioned earlier with, with deep passes. Is there more concepts, though, that are very different in terms of the variety of the coaches in comparison to the NFL? Uh, no, there's not, uh, there's not as much variety. Like, everyone kind of runs the same stuff in the CFL. And it's a copycat league. Mm-hmm. Um, like, we'll install something, and it'll work. And then the next week, you'll see a team run the exact same play. And then it's like, I, I don't know. Because the, the league is so different than the NFL. You can't copy, like, what the NFL does. Like, everyone kind of copies each other in the CFL. And whatever works, like, the next team will do it. So it's kind of hard to uh, – and there's only nine teams. So it makes it hard to – you know, change stuff up a lot. And most of the coaches, they all kind of have the same play style. It just goes on, like, what their core values are. Jalen, who is the, I would say, who is the biggest smartass in your locker room? <laughs> the biggest what? Smartass. The, the smart, you know, <laughs> the prankster, you know, <laughs> the biggest prankster in your locker room. Uh, the biggest prankster? Mm-hmm. Probably Jeremiah Masoli or mm. Mike Filer. Jeremiah Masoli, the quarterback of Oregon, a long time ago. I remember him. He was awesome. The, do you have you have a story that you could tell us? Yeah, actually, I do. Uh, one time, ah man, what did Jeremiah do that was so funny? He uh, so him and Mike Filer, which is our center, always played pranks on each other. And uh, Jeremiah paced while because Jeremiah towards ACL so he was out and while Mike was out at practice and it was like a cold rainy day like everyone was like super sore it was like the day after the game Jeremiah taped his phone all the way up and then like put a marker on it and made it he, t- he taped it in like two rolls of tape too and it was just super thick and he like wrote down like the numbers on it it looked like phone that was like taped up oh it was so funny and then Mike was like actually really mad about it but he got over it <laughs> How about traveling? Do you, do you guys – when I, I played a lot of travel ice hockey, I played for Team USA for, for almost four years. I was one of the captains of the team, and I was a big prankster on my team, my hockey team. And I remember I was in Canada. I was in Montreal, and what we did was at night I, I had two roommates, and what we did was we tied – one of the one of the, the backup goalies hands behind his back <laughs> and he, and we tied his feet to the post of the bed and we took shaving cream and we shaved lines in the back of his head he did not wake up he was he was a dead sleeper i, I don't know if you guys know what a dead sleeper is he once he falls asleep it would take a, you, you could throw a football at the back of his head <laughs> he wouldn't get up okay and we we used to we used to do so many pranky you know prankster things to to him particular, but we've done it to so many things. Have you ever done anything as far as a prank is concerned that was outrageous or crazy, or did anybody put a prank on you which was outrageous or crazy? Uh, 
No, I can't say. I've honestly had pretty good luck with pranks. Uh, I'm trying to think of something. I'm sure the vet did something to me, but I can't really remember. But <laughs> of course you I, can't. I you don't want to embarrass yourself. Because if I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but I've never been much of a prankster just because I feel like if I did that to someone, then they give it back to me worse. So mm-hmm. I try to just stay in my own, stay in my own lane. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, I'm sure I've been pranked. I know I had to dress up for Halloween. They made me dress up like uh, oh, Tom Cruise off a Top Gun because I had a mustache. That's <laughs> <laughs> about as bad. Like, I had to get aviators. Like, yeah, and they all laughed at me. But, I mean, that that's about as bad as it got. But I, I honestly look good, so I didn't. <laughs> you look more like a goose, not a maverick. I can tell you that. You look like more goose than you do maverick. I can tell you that. But, uh before yeah, we, no, it was before we, but, yeah, yeah, was you definitely look, you definitely look more like Goose than than you do Maverick. Yeah, they call me Goose. Really, they do. Oh, they do. They call you Goose. Yeah, they call me Goose in the locker room. Well, you you kind of yeah. look like Goose. You do. You definitely do. I appreciate that. I'll take it as a compliment. <laughs> was that part of the irony of why they made you dress up as as Maverick? <laughs> Well, I guess that's his answer right there. Before we let you go, before we let you go, is there a particular person, you know, that you looked up to in your family that pushed you to, to, to go for your dreams and now play for the CFL? Was there a particular, was it your mom, your father, your sister, your brother, your aunt, your uncle, your grandparents? Was there a particular person that always pushed you for success when it comes to sports? Um, probably my mom. Really? My mom. Yeah, me the most. She uh, she actually battled breast cancer whenever I was in high school. I'm sorry to um, hear that. And sorry her mom that. passed away, and so she's pretty tough. Like she's the toughest person that I know. So if I ever got down about like losing a game or something, she would just tell me it could be way worse, Jalen. And I'd be like, yeah, mm. it could. So you know, she just kind of drove me to be who I am today. And even like now, like, if I ever have like a bad game or like you know something i'll just call her and then she'll set me straight and tell me to go to wait i'll be like, all right mom <laughs> how was your mom doing yeah she pushes me to the best how was your mom doing she's doing good she's uh i think she's like folding clothes doing laundry right now she's always doing something around the house <laughs> have you ever been to new york have you ever been to new york jalen i i've been once i've only been to like the Albany part. I've never been to like Albany. Okay. Yeah, so you, Albany. so you never been to Long Island. You never been to New York City. You never got a chance to see the the bright lights of New York. No, no. I want to though one day. But, I'll yeah. tell you what. I tell you what. If if you guys ever have the opportunity to come out here, I would love to have you in the studio. Love to do a show with you joining us live and, and we'll show you around New York city. I would love to show you around uh, the great New York city. If you ever come out here, uh, we'll definitely stay in contact. We would love for you to come and join us on a live radio show. Okay, sweet. Yeah, uh, for sure. Well, I'll tell you this right now. If there's anybody that knows New York uh, as well as anybody, it would be me. I've lived here practically my whole life. And uh, we live in Long Island, and if you don't know what Long Island is, uh, you've heard of the Hamptons. So uh, that's where all the movie stars and all the athletes uh, go out, you know, in the summertime and hang out and party it up. Well, obviously not with COVID nineteen, but 
the Hamptons are very well known out here in Suffolk County and Nassau County. But uh, there's five boroughs, and it, it's a beautiful city uh, if you're just coming to visit. If you're coming to live, run for your life. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's what I've heard. But, uh, yeah, for sure, if I ever come and visit, I'll keep in touch with you guys. I'd love to come in sometime. Absolutely. Jayla, why don't you tell the fans how they can find you on social media? Oh, I mean, you can find me on Instagram. Not much of a Twitter guy. Uh, at Jalen underscore Acklin. And mm-hmm. then uh, that's pretty much all I got really is Instagram and Twitter. I'm not much of a TikTok guy. Like TikTok. Thank God. <laughs> Well, Jalen, I want you guys to follow. I want I want you to follow us on Instagram. I want you to follow us on Twitter. I don't know if you uh, if you're following us yet, but uh, I want to give a shout out to Jillian and Ricky. They're the ones that reached out to you. Uh, they read a couple of things about you, a couple of stories about you, and said we have to get Jalen on. Uh, you sound like a really good kid. I hope. All your dreams and admirations come true, and I hope uh, one day we see you in the NFL. I mean, we've seen, you know, look at Adam Thielen, what he has done. I mean, he, he it's unbelievable. It's a remarkable story. Adam Thielen wasn't even drafted. He was a walk-on with the Minnesota Vikings because he's from Minnesota, and he's, one of the, he's come down to be, in the last three years, one of the best wide receivers in the league. So uh, it's a remarkable story. And uh, I, being that you're 6'2", and you're uh, – I don't know what. What did you run your uh, 40 in? What did you run your 40? Four, four, eight. Really? Mm. Wow. That's nice. Yeah. You're pretty fast, man. I got man. some wheels, guys. <laughs> I got yeah, some wheels. I got a 39-inch vertical. Really? Wow. Kind of wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you can play, you play basketball. So you play basketball. Really? Well, I'll be the judge of that. When you come out to New York. Take me to the cages. Well, I'll tell you this. When you come out to New York, we'll have to play a little one-on-one, my friends. <laughs> I'll broadcast. <laughs> what did you say? I'm sorry, Jalen. But I'm down with that. Absolutely. So um, why don't, we'll stay in touch. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, definitely, if your family ever wants to come out here, we, I'd love to show you around. I have a lot of connections out here as far as uh, VIP things when it comes to uh, wineries and stuff like that. Uh, if, if you guys ever want to come out here, we'll definitely show you around. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, too. Absolutely. As you guys know, that is Hamilton Tigers Cats wide receiver, Jalen Acklin. Um, Interesting kid. Funny kid. uh, Very confident kid. And that's what you want. You want confidence because confidence is where where it's at ladies and gentlemen that's for sure we're Mm -hmm. not going to a break speedy because uh we have about 18 minutes left uh what was this what was the main story we wanted to get into so we're gonna get into who was the best player from each decade or different decades in sports that never won a championship from when to when what are you talking so particular decades like the 1970s the 1980s who played the prime of their career all right so you go in the 1970s and i'll go to 1980s and then we'll go from there all right so i'll I'll start in the nfl for the 1970s i think one that definitely comes to mind is fran tarkenton he went to four super bowls and i think was very undervalued as a quarterback in that time everybody talks about terry bradshaw and roger staubach as being the big guys but he was kind of undervalued as that other guy and he was a great statistical quarterback especially for that time i believe he's in the top 10 in touchdowns all time or if not top 20 and again constantly undervalued Ahmad Rashad was probably the only great receiver he had it's not like the the Vikings later with Chris Carter and Randy Moss they didn't really have that it was more of a defensive team they didn't really have those offensive skill players to help them and four Super Bowls unfortunately they lost all of them for if you're a Vikings fan but I think he's definitely one that's undervalued in the 70s 
I would say Jim Kelly. I mean, in, in the Buffalo years, the the late the late eighties, early nineties, yep. Jim Kelly was one of the most underrated, unappreciated quarterbacks in the NFL. He never won a Super Bowl. He went to four consecutive Super Bowls, and he never won one. Uh, unfortunately, uh, bad coaching and uh, bad special teams in the Super Bowl really cost them in, in two of the four mm-hmm. Super Bowls. Uh, but uh, Jim Kelly, uh, to me, uh, not only fi- the way he has fought cancer over the last couple of years, right. the guy is a fighter. And if you listen to Boomer Esiason or even Joe Montana or S- uh, Steve Young, they talk about the heroic, um, hardworking player of what Jim right. Kelly was as a player. So Jim Kelly, in my eyes, in football, uh, in the, a- the late 80s, early 90s, was, to me, that type of player. All right, so I'll go to the 80s now for, for NBA. I mean, there's a lot of them you can pick from based on the fact that the Celtics and Lakers were in the finals every year. Mm-hmm. I'll go with a guy named uh, – I'll go with George Gervin. We talk about it all the time, guys that were great three-point shooters before the three-point line. Again, the Spurs were a new ABA team at that time. I think because of that, that ends up getting undervalued because that was pre-Popovich and, again, pre-three-point three line. But Gervin was a great player throughout. He was great before David Robinson got there. And I think he's somebody that's definitely undervalued when you talk about the great shooters of all time in terms of, again, there's no three-point line, but he still could shoot it from long range. It's so it's, – it's such a good – and I, I see what Carl's saying. I would say Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley <laughs> – was one of the best small forward power forwards in the in the NBA at the time that he was dominating in the 90s especially in the mid 90s he won an MVP with the Suns uh he he took uh, Michael Jordan to a game 5 mm-hmm. uh in in the NBA finals and and really he was the MVP that year so I, I think Charles Barkley, really, he kind of changed the game because everybody looked at Charles Barkley as a big – he wasn't fat, but he was a big man who – he was a troublemaker. He was a bully on the court. He pushed people around, and he tried to push Sha- Shaquille O'Neal around so many times, but uh, Shaq wasn't having it. But uh, Charles Barkley was one of those guys that deserved to win a championship. He went to the Rockets. He tried to win a championship with Hakeem Olajuwon, and, and, the, and the cast that they had of it just didn't work out. He – he went to the Suns from the 76ers, and, and, and he played for those 76ers teams that were just not good. Right. They were not good at all. And, and Charles Barkley, you say what you want, he wasn't a top draft pick either. So uh, nobody thought that Charles Barkley was going to be the player he, he became. So Charles Barkley, definitely. All right, so I'll go to the 90s now, and I think this one's simple. I'm just throwing players out. I don't care yeah. if it's the 90s well, no, or no, we're, We can switch off different decades. That's fine. So I'm going to go 90s, and I'm going to go baseball. I think this one's pretty obvious. Ken Griffey Jr. I think Ken Griffey Jr. is thought of as maybe most well-rounded player in terms of a hit from a hitting perspective that you could, you could see. Obviously, there were pitchers that were great in terms of being well-rounded in different types. But I think Ken Griffey Jr. as a whole really, again, gold gloves – 630 home runs, just a little bit of everything with Ken Griffey Jr., and I think he really defined the game. Again, never won a championship. Had some good Mariners teams, but again, an organization that wasn't great. I would say in the 2000 era, at hockey, John Van Beesbrook. John Van Beesbrook, who in in 96, first of all, he was let go, and and well, he was traded to the Vancouver Canucks in 94, uh, 93, 94, when uh, they had to decide where – you know, if they were going to stick with Mike Richter or go with Van Beesburg, they decided to uh, bring in the younger co- the goaltender mm-hmm. in, in Mike Richter and trade Van Beesburg to Vancouver. Then Vancouver put him in the expansion draft. He was the number one pick from the Florida Panthers, and it took him a couple of years. And he took the Florida Panthers in 96, the year of the rat, 
to the Stanley Cup Finals <laughs> against the Colorado Avalanche, which had Patrick Waugh and Joe Sackick and Peter Forsberg and one of the greatest teams, one of the greatest offensive teams ever developed and really put together uh, in, in those years. And uh, it went four games and he got swept, but uh, remarkable. He had a remarkable career and uh, the winningest, the winningest goaltender in United States history. Yep. So, mm-hmm. um, to me, John Van Beesburg was right there. Uh, a guy that never won a championship, took a, a bad team to a Stanley right. cup finals mm-hmm. and, uh, almost won a Stanley cup. So, mm-hmm. uh, I would say John Van Beesburg. I'll stick, I'll stick with that same theme. I'll take uh, Pavel Burry, the best player on that team. Pavel Burry was one of those nineties wingers that was very iconic and again was one of those few because a lot of times in hockey you don't see those stars that don't win titles a lot of the time there's not very many of them a lot of those big names but he was one of them you're right Vancouver was not a great team as a whole but Burry was a phenomenal player uh over a thousand points in his career he was just absolutely fantastic again just couldn't get that final cup again pressure of Vancouver just not being a great team as a whole but great player Philip Rivers, I mean, uh, if you look at him as a quarterback, especially when 2004 he was traded, uh, there was a swap with him and Eli Manning. He, he was going to – a lot of people thought he was going to the Giants. Right. Uh, Eli Manning's father uh, did not want him to play for the San Diego Chargers. He wanted being swapped with Eli Manning. And probably, if you really look at the numbers, he had a better career than Eli Manning has offensively. I mean, obviously, Eli won – Two two championships, but Philip Rivers. Say whatever you want, Philip Rivers. If you compare his numbers to him and Be- Eli Manning and Ben Roethlisberger, he has better numbers than both of them. So uh, Philip Rivers, who is a Hall of Famer, might never win a, a championship. He could right. maybe with Indianapolis. We'll see what happens this year with the talented team that they have. But Philip Rivers, who doesn't get enough respect, he really doesn't. Because if you look at his numbers and you look what he's done in the league for the, the, the 16, 17 years he's been in the game, it's been absolutely remarkable. On a San Diego team, let's be honest, has not really, besides the first four or five years with yeah, LaDainian Tomlinson, right. uh, they really haven't built the team around him. And they didn't build him eno- build right. it enough for them to be a championship, championship competitive team. So Philip Rivers would be... My 2000s. Right. I think the year after they lost the Jets that year, since before that, their team was great. But after that, they really have not been run well. Uh, I'll stay in the NFL and I'll stay in the 2000s. I'll say Julius Peppers. Julius Peppers is a guy that I th- is the best pass rusher in t- my time watching football that I've seen. I think he had one of the best speed moves. Uh, obviously, statistically, was phenomenal. Over 150 sacks in his career. Absolutely phenomenal player. He went to the Super Bowl with the Panthers. I think he... No, he did not go to a Super Bowl after that, but mm-hmm. he went to the Super Bowl with the Panthers and had great longevity, even with Chicago later on, with Green Bay later on, moving him to an outside linebacker. He really was steady throughout his career, even though he got limited snaps later on. One of the best pass rushers of, of all time, and the best that I have ever seen in my time watching football. Obviously, I'm very young, but he's the best I've ever seen in terms of a pass rusher. You know, I, I you know, before Ovechkin won his title a couple of years ago, I thought Ovechkin was never going to win a title. Same. I, I really didn't think he was going to win a title, and and it's a remarkable career that uh, Alexander Ovechkin has had, and probably he could break Wayne Gretzky's goal record, and he po- quite possibly could do that if he scores fifty goals for the. Well, this year he, he fell short because uh, right. did he fall short? Did he have he had close to fifty? I goals. think he had forty seven this year. Yes, but uh, and he, and and you're still going to have a playoff, so right. there's a good opportunity for him to to do that, but. I'm trying to think of players right now that that really stand out to me, and I can't uh, – NBA, I, I look at the NBA as a whole, and, and I know that all the great players played with – I would say Chris Paul, okay? Mm, that's a good one. I would put Chris Paul there because Chris Paul 
first of all, he's had a remarkable year with the OKC Thunder. Nobody mm-hmm. thought that he was going to have the season that he had this year. And now there's trade talks right. of him going to the Knicks or going to one of these teams that are going to be competitive team uh, moving forward. But uh, Chris Paul, to me, in the last 10, 15 years, has been the best point guard in the NBA, uh, defensively and offensively. And you talk about guys in comparisons to him. The only person I can compare to his game in the last 20, 25 years is Jason Kidd. So, uh, and he's a better shooter than Jason Kidd. So, yeah. uh, Jason Kidd never, Jason Kidd won one title with the Mavericks at the end of his career. So, I don't know if Chris Paul will ever win because obviously he's, you know, he's at the tail end of his career. Right. But uh, Chris Paul has had a remarkable career. So, it would be Chris Paul. Yeah, unless he goes back to the Clippers or something like that. He's probably not going to win a title. But again, what you're right, what he has done this year is remarkable. I'll stay with basketball. I'll go with another another point guard. I'll go with Allen Iverson. I think Allen Iverson, another guy that played on a lot of very bad teams. They had Dikembe Mutombo, but could you even name anyone else on those teams after that? Right. Those 76ers teams. So he was able to... I could name a bunch well, of them. You, you, yeah, right, but I'm saying could the average fan do? No. Is, it's going to be hard to find a lot of those those guys. They really did a good job in, the, in that playoff when they went to the NBA Finals. Really just a great playoff player as a whole. For his size, wasn't a, wasn't a great defender, but wasn't a terrible defender either for his size. And again, great shooter, great passer, one of the best ball handlers we've ever seen. And again, it was just a shame that the 76ers have been so poorly run for a long time. And I, I see Carl writing uh, Joe Thomas. And, and Joe Thomas mm-hmm. is one of the best. Absolutely. One of the best and most underrated offensive linemen in the NFL and uh, retired at a young age. And, and he lost a lot of weight. He looks right. great. Mm-hmm. He really does look great. And Joe Thomas played for that terrible Browns team where it seems like every single player that goes to the Browns completely disappears. Jack Conklin is going to be the next one that's going to fall and disappear right now with the Browns. But – uh, the player that stands out, and everybody's going to say that, and you're saying it right now, is Mike Trout. Mike Trout has been the best player in the MLB for the last seven years, but he's only 26 years old. He still has a long way to go, and I do believe eventually Mike Trout will win a championship. He's too good to not win a championship, and if it's not going to be with the Anaheim Angels, it'll be with another team. So I do believe that Mike Trout will eventually win a title, but... Uh, there's a play. I'm trying to think of players that just stand out because, again, we, we're just doing this off the head. Right. Um, I think in baseball, and you said Ken Griffey Jr., uh, Don Mattingly. Don Mattingly never won a championship. Don Mattingly, who was a uh, seven- or eight-time Gold Glove winner, he, uh, he won a couple of batting titles. Uh, he Probably uh, probably one of the best five-year uh, stretches. stretches that we've ever seen a first baseman ever have. So, And he played for the Yankees, and it, of course he retired in 95 <laughs> the year before the Yankees win a title with the young Derek Jeter. So Don Manley had a sensational career. He should be a Hall of Famer. I don't care. Everybody says, well, he didn't have a, he didn't have the longevity. If you look at his numbers in the 13, 12 years that he played, tell me a first baseman that played as well as he did the five straight years that he played. And I'll tell you right now, go, go look at the numbers. I, I, there's not one. There's not one. Even the Albert Pujols. You go look at it. You compare Albert Pujols' best five years in a row to Don Manley. I, I will tell you this right now. Don Manley's numbers are better than Albert Pujols in those five years, kids. So Don Manley, absolutely. I'll stay with baseball. I'll go with a uh, one of the first good relief pitchers that we saw. Never won a title. Went to a World Series. Raleigh Fingers. I think some, he, somebody that gets undervalued. Didn't have quite the longevity, but in the 80s was one of the best relief pitchers. You talk about Dennis Ecklersley, guys like Bruce Sutter at that time, and a lot of a lot of those other closers, but again, he was a guy that was very undervalued. Obviously the iconic mustache is what he's known for, but he was undervalued at that time and was on a lot of 
teams that were up and down for the most part, a good Brewers team in 82 that went to the World Series, but he was one of the best relief pitchers in an era where relief pitchers were still kind of a new thing. A guy that everybody knows of, he's still playing in the major leagues, who I don't know if he'll ever win because he just has – uh, his team is Jinx, and that's the Dodgers and yep. Clayton Kershaw. <laughs> I say that. <laughs> Clayton Kershaw, to me, has been the most dominant pitcher in baseball. Him and Max Scherzer have been the two most dominant pitchers in baseball in the last 15 years. And if you look at their numbers, and and, and right now, Kershaw has been in the league, I think, for 11 or 12. But, yeah, I think he debuted in 09. Yeah, so, but I'm saying between the last you know 15 years, those two guys have been the best pitchers in baseball. And Max Scherzer just won his first title last year. And I don't know if Clayton Kershaw will ever have the opportunity to win a championship. Uh, the dominance that he has been as a, as a pitcher in a regular season, if he were to retire three, four years ago, he was a Hall of Famer. Right. Um, his numbers are – when you try to compare guys' numbers, especially pitchers' numbers, to Clayton Kershaw, there might be maybe seven or eight pitchers in Major League history – that you can compare to Clayton Kershaw as far as regular season numbers. So he's had a remarkable career, and he's, he's probably never going to win a title. So Clayton Kershaw is definitely on my list. All right. So I'll go back to the NFL. This is probably somebody that could be both 90s and 2000s, even though it was more 2000s. And it's a guy we talk about a lot. It's probably the second best receiver of all time, Terrell Owens. He was a guy that, again, he played in a Super Bowl, played phenomenal in a Super Bowl with, an, with a big, bad injury, and, again, almost single-handedly, willed the Eagles to beating the Patriots. They were very close in that game. And again, he's been great throughout his career. Obviously, he's bumped around teams because of his antics. But again, I think those were overblown a lot of the time, too. It was phenomenal with the 49ers. Helped Steve Young have the longevity that he had. Helped uh, help Jeff Garcia when he was there uh, at the beginning of his career. And again, really, in my opinion, been the second best receiver of all time. And again, arguably the best, one of the best overall football players. Jeff, we have a new number. I know Jeff is trying to call the show. It is 631-260-1601. Jeff, if you want to call the show, it's 631-260-1601. Okay? We do not have the 965 number anymore. Barry Sanders, call is right. Barry Sanders, who to me has been the best running back in my eyes, the best running back of all time, him or Jim Brown. You can argue your points. Jim Brown was definitely there with him, but... Uh, absolutely, Barry Sanders, dominant running back who completely dominated in every stretch of the game, the the running game, the passing game. He really revolutionized the running back position, especially that we've seen over the last couple of years. So, yeah, I think I, I agree with you. I think he is the best running back of all time as well, and just playing on a very, very dysfunctional, dysfunctional team. Uh, I'll take another receiver. I'll take one from this generation. That's a. Uh, that's Larry Fitzgerald. I think Larry Fitzgerald as a whole, when you look at it, is uh, really, really doing a good job. Uh, got a team that was robbed of a, of a Super Bowl uh, back in against the Steelers. And I think he's been one of the best hands you ever seen. Why don't you call back Jeff? Because uh, you're supposed to be the producer. And, I, of course, you, you couldn't even answer the damn phone. So it really annoys me when you can't answer a damn phone. But uh, – uh, to me, Calvin Johnson, uh, what Calvin Johnson has done as a wide receiver in the league, the dominance of a player that he was uh, for the nine years that he was in the league, there is not many wide receivers that we can really compare and contrast to the talents of Calvin Johnson. Do we have him on the phone or what? Jeff, are you there? Jeff? Yes, buddy. How are you? Well, besides b- besides, on, besides, um. Speedy making the mistakes that he makes during the show all the time. Uh, we're good. Well, that's very good. 
you know, I, I realize you guys are doing all kinds of crazy things over there. I just kind of wanted to switch gears and talk. You know, there's been a lot of news mm -hmm. recently and stuff, and, and I wasn't sure about what you guys thought of uh, the, the New York Yankees MVP for the last four years. What was that? What, what are you talking about? Aaron Judge? Manfred covering up stealing, sign stealing and cheating by the Yankees, covering up Rob Manfred is the Yankees MVP. So so what you're saying, and I, I heard the story that was coming out that uh, the Yankees were sign stealing. You know and I know, Jeff, and we've argued the points here. Every single team sign steals. It's not, Nobody did what the Houston Astros did, okay? Nobody. The Yankees didn't bang oh, no, on garbage pails. No, no. this, 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 lawsuit, this lawsuit filed in court? alleges, and, and there's a redacted version that's coming out, but this lawsuit alleges what the Yankees did was worse, and Manfred helped cover it up. Well, again, I haven't read the story yet, and I'll have the opportunity a little bit later to read the story, and if it is true, well, then the Yankees should be punished for it, but... Uh, again, we don't know what true what the truth is and what the, what's not the truth. All we hear is stories. So I, I would like to read that story. I mean, I, you, re I mean you really hate to see it, though. I hmm. mean, you honestly hate to see it. You know, I mean, as a Red Sox fan who's just been persecuted by just angry Yankee fans, for I don't know about that. Accusing them of uh, you know cheating, and then to watch the commissioner come out and say the Red Sox weren't cheating at all and totally exonerated them. And now for this to happen, you just hate to see it. Well, it hurts It hurts the game of baseball just as much as it would hurt any sport when you're hearing cheating. And just no, like... No, no. I was, I was actually being facetious. I know. I love to see it. Anything bad happens to the Yankees, it's amazing. But, but why? It, it hurts the game. It hurts the game. Even Yankees, Mets, Boston, Red Sox, any one of those teams, even in professional basketball or football... Because because people like you oh, are people super like me. smug mm -hmm. about other people. Oh, you're cheating. Oh, the, the Yankees don't cheat. Other people cheat. No, dude. The Yankees are the most dastardly organization inside of me. Really? Baseball. And you really? just hate to see it. So hold on one second. So, so wait a second. Wait a second. So we're, we're sitting here and we're arguing, well, the Yankees are a terrible organization. They cheat. All that other stuff that you're saying. And we've come out and said this over and over again on this show, Jeff, that we all believe that it's not just the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Mets, or any of these teams. Every single team has cheated in some kind of way on sign steals. And we have talked to coaches and managers throughout the last couple of weeks, and every one of them said uh, it's been a part of the game for years. But not banging on garbage pails, not using electronics in the in the dugout, trying to figure out what the sign is, you know, what sign is coming down, or, or, or if they're going to steal and we're going to do a hit and run. We, you know, we haven't seen that except with the Astros. So again, you're absolutely right. I know you like making fun of the Yankees, but they're even in football. Do you think there's nothing going on behind the scenes? You have these iPads. Every single player, every single, every single player on every single position has an iPad on that uh, iPad on that bench. But that's legal in football. Yeah, but that's legal in football. No, it is legal, but we don't know what's on those iPads. We don't know what's on what they're seeing in those iPads. You know what I'm saying? We we don't know. I mean, they're league they're league issued iPads. Yeah, so that's I, fine. You know, just, so with the headsets, so with the headsets, remember what was going on? Remember what was going on in the league that there were there were sign calls coming coming all the way from the top to the headsets and they the league uh, now the league was trying to change the rules and have somebody be listening to the conversations so they're not cheating. I mean, just because just because they're league um, 
officials. Uh, no, no league profiled. Go ahead. And I like to break your balls because you're a Yankees fan, and that's fine. No, but I'm just saying. No, you're not breaking anything. You're right. But here's the serious question to the whole thing. Now, this is a serious question. I'm done breaking your balls about being a Yankee fan yeah. and coming up with conspiracy. Uh, Joe, you're not breaking my balls, bro. Here's the real Right, but, but, here's, the, but here's the thing. Mm-hmm. If this were to be true, mm-hmm. okay, just if. I'm not saying it yes. is if. Because yeah. it's, it's alleged in a lawsuit that isn't proof or anything like that. Uh-huh. So anyway, got it. Okay. Can Rob Manfred be the commissioner of baseball anymore? No. If that was the case, like if he, I mean, like if he covered up what the Yankees were doing, he has to be fired, right? I've been saying this over and over again. Rob Manfred just got the job about a year and a half, two years ago. He His contract is up in 2024. There is no way in hell he's keeping that job. I'm telling you right now, in 2024, the owners and the players union will not allow him to continue using, you know, moving forward. Bud Selig has been cheating and doing all these nasty things all those years with steroids and trying to hide things because he needed to save baseball. And and when when it came down push over shove, he wouldn't protect the players and that's why some of the players like Alex Rodriguez, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens probably will never see a lick in the Hall of Fame because of Bud Selig. But Bud Selig's in the Hall of Fame right now to me it's a complete it's appalling and then you got we were just talking about this about uh what was it two three months ago why isn't george steinbrenner in the right. hall of fame why isn't he in the hall of fame bud Seeley goes to the hall of fame but george steinbrenner hasn't and george steinbrenner really changed the game of baseball and and, and this is why there are tv deals the, the yes network was one of the first networks built in professional sports he changed everything george steinbrenner taught changed everything when it came to making money and revenue for teams and organizations for the long haul. So why is Bud Selig, who was a car salesman, he owned a, a used car, you know, car, uh, you know, uh, dealership. dealership, and he became the uh, he became the the uh, the commissioner of the MLB all those years, and he completely made it a mockery. And and then all of a sudden, Mark McGuire and Sosa uh, have this home run home run you know, back and forth competition. And now all of a sudden you're never going to see those guys go to the hall of fame because of Bud Selig. And he was hiding everything from day one. So again, go ahead. So so just to recap 2020, we have coronavirus, we have a lockdown, Mm -hmm. uh, we have murder hornets, Mm -hmm. uh, the Yankees did cheat, and the Red Sox didn't. What a world we're living in, huh? <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. The Patriots cheated <laughs> numerous amount of times. So <laughs> if, if the well, Yankees see, cheated. You, keep, you see, you keep, lo- see, you keep lobbing I just think it's up, funny. I just think it's funny. It just, it's, a de- it's a deflection away from. You know I love you, Jeff. You know that, right? Cheating. You know I love it's you. The bla- Speedy, Speedy, how does it feel now to be the, the, the least hated uh, baseball organization in <laughs> Uh, New York now. Well, right? I get. Oh, oh, we're the wonderful, we're the wonderful Yankees. Oh, we're, we're... wonderful. No, no. Turns out the Mets are doing it better. Yeah, no, hold on one second. Our own fans hate uh, hate them. So oh, hold on one second. <laughs> the Mets are doing it better. How are the Mets doing it better? Please explain to oh, me. They didn't. Cheat. They didn't, uh, they didn't how do you know they didn't cheat? Did you hang out with them? Were you hanging out in their they their dugout? Have... It's the Wilpons. They'll be too cheap to buy the technology. Come on, Jeff. That's you can't honestly sit here and tell me. Did, did Bud Selig help uh, cover up Mets cheating? No, it was Yankees cheating. He helped mm. cover up. So you're going to honestly tell me and you're going to sit here and tell me that the Mets, you think the Mets never cheated or they never s- stole signs or did stuff that were completely illegal uh, in, well, in, in in the MLB I mean, rules? If, 
if they did, it was because they acquired a Yankee. Oh, stop, Jeff. Oh, stop, Jeff. That that's not, that you're sound you sound stupid now. Je- Jeff, it's the Wilpons. They're going to be too cheap to buy all that stuff anyway. <laughs> right, exactly. They're still operating off of VHS. Yeah, but that has nothing to do with it. And, and again, and, and I know, Jeff, you call the show, and I love when you call the show and you make some good points. But and, and this story is coming out that the Yankees did cheat. And if 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 it is true, I mean, it's just a story. There's no proof to it. I haven't seen anything yet, but I'm I'm going to read the story because it did come out before the show. I, I did see something that the Yankees, uh, you know, there was uh, some kind of cover up with Ron Manford. We don't know. And if it is true, he should be fired now. If if it, if this is true, and 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 he was cheating. It's true. It's groundbreaking because you'll have a new commissioner. And it'll take down the most powerful team. In do you know? Do you know who I think should be the new commissioner? Managers. You'll have to see players. Uh, you. You know. You know who I think. No. <laughs> the per, the, there's a there's an ex player that I think would be a great commissioner for the MLB, and I've said it already, and I'll say it again. Cal Ripken Jr. I think hmm. he would be a great commissioner for the MLB. I, I think. A good one. Yeah, I think he probably a good one. I think Cal Ripken Jr. would be perfect right now in that suit. And, and he already came out and said. That, I don't think that you'd ever see that. I, why not? He, I think he would be good. Well, because he's a former player and okay. owners would rather hire a lawyer who would be more of an arbiter who might be fair and Cal Ripken. Isn't, you know, because the isn't Cal Ripken? That's going to be. And I think. I think Cal Ripken has a law Cal degree. Ripken. I think he has a law degree. Hmm. I'm pretty he, sure he, he does. Might, but, but he was. He might, but he was also a former player, and, and the owner, just the perception from the owners would probably be he would be more likely to side with players. And so I don't think that you're really ever going to see a player be a commissioner, unfortunately, because mm-hmm. I do agree with you. I, I think Cal Ripken would be a good one, but I think it's going to be some pencil-pushing nerd that knows contracts and how you know how to sign Pepsi to a, a endorsement deal or Coca-Cola or you know McDonald's. You and me can make those deals, like Jeff. Me and you can make those deals. I mean, it's a, you can't honestly sit here, and I, I, I'm not taking shots at any of the commissioners in professional sports because it's not as easy as it seems. But if you own, if you're running an organization that's a billion dollar organization where uh, so many fans, millions and millions of fans are going to live games and they're buying all the different apparel and all that other stuff. You can't honestly tell me that me and you couldn't find a way to get Hyundai or or Nike to absolutely be sponsors of my organization. Well, I think I think that I would make a good commissioner. I already solved the NFL's kneeling problem, and and to, to, you know, not to brag, Errol, I do actually think it's the best solution I've heard to the kneeling problem from anyone. I think I've come up with the best solution in the kneeling. What's that? The, all the players agree not to kneel during the national anthem. I agree with you. That's mandatory. You, okay, so you don't kneel. Mm-hmm. In exchange, right, the NFL, you know, the owners own the NFL along with the NFL network. So right. in exchange for not kneeling, the uh, the NFL network agrees to give up a two-hour time slot from oh. 8 to 10 to talk about – Players' charities, you know, have players on and talk about, you know, uh, Nate Solder from the Giants has a cancer charity because he beat cancer. You, get, you know, you talk about the issues the players want to talk about, social justice issues, their, their charities, their community work, things like that. You would give them a platform, and then they wouldn't kneel for the National Anthem. That would be their outlet to talk about 
the the things socially that they want to accomplish. Don't, don't doesn't it bother you where you have the players running? And I've said this in the beginning of the show. I, I was talking about LeBron James, how he runs the league, he runs the NBA, and it, to me, it's completely appalling when you look at a player like that. He's not even an owner. He's a multi billionaire now. He, this guy he got the billion dollar contract from Nike, and this guy just keeps opening his mouth not only to the world but uh, to innocent people that uh, bystanders that uh, he shouldn't be speaking to and. When I when I think of LeBron James, and, and I want to know it's it's damned if you it's damned if you do and damned if you don't. Yeah. Because just like oh, like because here's the here's the reality of that people are vilifying LeBron James as you are right now right. for speaking out right mm-hmm. and then and then if you remember all you got to do is go and watch the Last Dance which was wildly popular and mm-hmm. I know that you watched it mm-hmm. but when when people wanted Michael Jordan to speak out and he stayed quiet mm-hmm. he was vilified for staying quiet absolutely absolutely but the the world has changed. The world has changed now. And that's why I think when you look at LeBron James and what LeBron James is doing, he wants to use his platform just like Kaepernick, Kaepernick would. You have no right to use the game's platform to speak out. If you want to speak out on your own terms, do it on your own terms. Don't be doing it when the game. I mean, that's what he's doing, though. He's using his Twitter account. Right now he is. That, right? right now he is. But you, you, know, you know LeBron James. Who he is as a player and what he is as a player is completely different from me and you. I mean, if me and you spoke out and said something like LeBron James, we and would I be called a racist. I think that you're, I think that you're, un, I think that you're unfairly singling out LeBron James, probably because you just don't like a couple of the issues that he's discussed. Because he's not the only one that's ever done it. I mean, you can go back, you know, decades ago with Mahmoud Abdul Rauf. Nice. He was the original mm-hmm. dude, basically, that sat during the national anthem. Right. His career wasn't ruined. He wasn't, you know. You can talk about the, the entire L.A. Clippers team banding together and turning their jerseys inside out when Donald Sterling said all of those racist things. I remember that, yeah. So, I mean, he, you're, you're just singling out LeBron James. So many other people have done it. Uh, again, now I, I'm reading what Carl's saying. He says, it is easy to voice now, Errol. Come on. I'm not voicing anything. I've been talking about this. Carl, first of all, I've been talking about this for months, first of all. Second of all, when I talk about LeBron James and I'm taking shots at LeBron James, I have nothing against him as a basketball player. Okay, I think LeBron James is one of the greatest basketball players to ever play the game. The problem with LeBron James is he's using the platform of the NBA instead of listen. We all know what his just for for instance his son his son they're trying to figure out ways where the NBA the NBA could bring back high school players after they graduate from high school they can go to the NBA. And he's starting. He's trying to make. He's trying to push this fo- through so he can have the opportunity to play with his son before he retires. He's always trying to find ways to change rules and, and break rules, and that's the that's the problem with professional sports right now, Jeff. It's not the fact that the game isn't speeding up or it's not interesting to watch. These players are trying to change the game. The game has survived all these years. You're talking about basketball has been around over a hundred years. You're talking about baseball over a hundred years. Hockey over a hundred years. All these sports changing the game. Changing the game isn't something new. Go back to when the Colts couldn't beat the Patriots, so they changed a couple of rules. They literally changed the game so right. the Colts would have a chance. Right. To me, it, it doesn't mean, help it's the been game. Happening forever. Yeah. But I, it's I think. Been happening forever. Yeah, but you should keep the game the way it. It's worked for years, Jeff. All of a sudden, you're going to change. Just okay, like so, these. So, so, are, so, so then let's get rid of the three point line, then, I guess. Yeah, well, again. 
to me, if, if that's the case, and I, I love it when people say Steph Curry is the best three-point shooter of all time because numbers would show that they are because in the game when Jerry West, Jerry West played or Pistol P played, there was no three-point line. So how could you honestly sit here and tell me that Steph Curry is the greatest three-point shooter of all time when you can't even prove that because there were players in those times shooting three-point shots that were counted as two? I mean, it's kind of a bum argument, right? Because, you know, there were, there were teams winning games, you know, uh, 20 to 16 because they would just score a bucket and then hold the ball before the shot clock. Right. You know, so, I, I mean, you know, I mean, it's just things must and always do change. Things and, and, like and, and Carl. And, you know, in, and you're literally sounding like one of these get off my lawn old people. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking up for not just the fans. I'm speaking up analytically, looking at anal- what analysts are saying. Now, Carl is saying right now his Black Lives Matter stance is breaking the NBA rules. What are you talking about, Errol? This has nothing to do with Black Lives Matter. I, I, don't, I don't think you're understanding what I'm trying to say. LeBron James, when he speaks, it's not even about what's going on with the George Floyd thing. He speaks, and he, just like with the whole Knicks thing, because of what uh, Phil Jackson said with his posse. He said something about posse, and he made it seem to be racist. That's racist because he I'll said something about posse? I'll tell you one thing about LeBron James. I'll bet you he knows that the New York Yankees cheated. <laughs> He's a Yankee fan. Yeah, I bet you he knows the New York Yankees. Are why? 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 This has nothing to do with cheating. The, I'm, I'm just the commissioners help to cover it up. <laughs> needed help to cover it up. I'm just uh, to me. I can't sit here and and Carl. I, you, as you know, Carl, I love you too. You're you're a big fan of the show. I'm not taking shots at it, but this has nothing to do with his stance with Black Lives Matter because I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. For five years, a five-year ban for the New York Yankees organization. That's just dastardly. Okay. Getting the commissioner to help them cover up cheating, that is just incredible. Thank you, Jeff, for calling the show, man. I mean, I mean, just wild. Don't you think, Speedy? Uh, well, we'll see how it, how it turns out to be, but uh, until we know more details, we'll have to see. But it's it's an investigation now. The New York Mets, the, the New York Mets, the cleanest organization in New York. Okay, and cheapest. <laughs> well, Jeff, uh, uh, definitely. Speedy, you've finally taken the Mets all the way to the top. <laughs> Jeff, why don't you call the show tomorrow? I have a great show lined up for you tomorrow. I have some good stories that I definitely want to get into tomorrow. Will you be talking about the Yankees cheating? No. Well, I, I mean, that's the biggest story in sports right now. I think that you should be. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for calling. Jeff from, band for the New <laughs> Jeff, Jeff from Tampa, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Carl is saying, Errol, he is focusing on social matters. What has he said in the last two months? I don't even understand what you're saying. I mean, you could type a little slower so I can... I, I, the last two months, the, as this proving your point, whatever that meant in, in your spelling, uh, Carl, uh, Mr. Teacher over there, um, I will say this. I'm not, first of all, he has spoken about a lot of different things, not only about everything, every single thing that happens in the NBA. LeBron James is the first person to say something and the last person to say something, just like Chris Paul. These two guys for years have gotten involved with things that have nothing to do with them. Now, Chris Paul runs the NBA P, uh, 
PA Players Association. Players Association. He's the, the president of that. And that's because LeBron James gave him that order. LeBron James also gave him the, the insurance company, State Farms. because <laughs> State Farms wanted LeBron James, and he gave it to Chris Paul. Okay? I'm not taking shots at the superstar of LeBron James. LeBron James needs to take a step back. And I understand that he wants to be the spokesman for um, – for the NBA or for, for the players' union, it doesn't help the game. Somebody's calling up, Speedy. So maybe you should look and see if somebody is calling. But you're you're not, obviously. <laughs> Jeff's calling back. Well, why don't you answer the phone instead of? Uh, you don't even know how to use it. It just shows you. Jeez, Speedy, you have no idea what you're doing. You really don't. Anyways, um, what are you doing? What are you doing? Never mind. Anyways, that's it for our show, ladies and gentlemen. Remember, speed. I don't know what you're doing. You're standing around, walking around. What are you doing? Go ahead. Well, who are we speaking Jeff's to? Jeff's back. <laughs> well, learn how to use a phone, Speedy. Jeez. Do you know what disgusting in your car? What? The Yankees and the Bees. That's how far he's fallen. I'm comparing them to the Bees. They're disgusting. Thank you, Jeff. There you go. Jeff from Tampa, as you know, remember you can call us at 631-260-1601. I'd like to thank James Madison softball assistant coach Jen Herzig, and I'd like to thank um, uh, Hamilton Tigers wide receiver Jalen Acklin Acklin for joining us. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for all the fans for listening to the show. We have a great show lined up tomorrow. Stay tuned, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. New York Eastern Time here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Until tomorrow, this is Errol Marks and Speedy Petey, and it needs to learn how to use the phone, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Good night, everybody. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.